0: Hey hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This week we have Keith Giles. Now I didn't know this guy at all going into this conversation and yet what a twist it took. This is what's honestly one of my favorite conversations I've had in months. Um, we just clicked in a, in a beautiful way, um, uh, especially towards the last kind of hour, hour and a half of this podcast and it's a long one. Um we just find this guy has a level of insight and depth for those that have been going on a journey of deconstruction that is um, very much unprecedented. It's, it's a wonderful level of wisdom and grace and love that, um, that we can all learn from and, and all benefit from. And so I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Well, we can start right now anyway. So, Keith, good. It's awesome to have you on. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, yours is a name I hear constantly. Um, and I was saying to my wife, um, she was like, Oh, who, who, who are you? Who do you have on? And I'm like, this guy called Keith Giles. I know Keith Like, I, I see his name everywhere. I've seen like quotes of yours and things like that. And I'm like, but I don't actually know Keith I, I have no idea. Like, and I'm like, more and more, it's exciting to be in an age where more and more and more, there's so many people that you're like, oh yeah, I know I know, I click with Keith, but I actually have no idea who Keith is. What? Because back in the day, you would be like, oh, there was like eight of us that actually teach something similar, you know? Now it's yes. hundreds and hundreds. And so she's like, you have a lot of people in your podcast you don't know. And I'm like, I know, I, I can't get to know so many people. so. This is me getting to know you. I'm really excited. Everyone else gets to kind of watch me get to know you, <laughs> but oh, I'm yeah. really excited to have you on. Why don't you? Um, why don't you kind of just give a little bit of an overview of who you are, where you're at. Um, from what I understand, you are. You were a pastor, came out of that, um, and now kind of run a home church thing again. So you kind of gone back into some sort of pastoral role. You help people that are deconstructing, you kind of do some online kind of pastoring as far as that looks. Um, you've got your podcasts as well. I think there's is, is there a couple podcasts you're involved with?
1: Am I right? Or I just, know, the just the main, main one podcast. The, yeah, the main one is the heritage appear, but I do these second cup with Keith kind of video things randomly just okay. you know, paranoid.
0: Right. Wonderful. So yeah, why don't you just give a, uh, maybe, maybe give an overview of just what's been your, what's been your overall journey. I'll probably jump in and and, and interrupt you because there's so many things that I love to uh, stop and look at anyway, but
1: give a rough idea
0: of where have you come from? What's been your
1: background? Yeah. So yeah, thanks Bill. Um, And yeah, thank you so much. I'm I'm happy to get to know you too and have this conversation. Um, Yeah. So I, um, I kind of grew up in a very conservative home i'm an only child um, um but it was a christian home and um but in texas where i spent i kind of grew up most of my life in el paso texas very conservative very um uh like i don't know if you if these if these phrases mean as much to you you probably have heard of these but it's sort of like i was like a member of the nra i listened to this rush limbaugh guy who was like a super mm-hmm. conservative yeah. radio host um i owned a bunch of guns i mean you know i was very, very entangled with my politics and my faith and all that. And I became um, – I met my wife, Wendy, here in El Paso, and um, uh, we got married <clears throat> in college. Or, you know, uh, I got licensed and ordained as a Southern Baptist pastor right after that. <clears throat> and I served on staff at churches for many years. And um, we eventually – once I graduated college and moved to California, Southern California, continued to serve in some churches, even helped to plant a church with some friends of ours. And, um, yeah, just – we can maybe talk a little bit more about how this happened. But eventually, yeah, I just felt like um, when, you, when you're when you on staff at a church, you see things that the average person doesn't see out yeah. in the pew. You know what I mean? You're, mm-hmm. you're just kind of behind the scenes sort of. Um, and just more and more things didn't add up for me about this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem like what I – the church I'm experiencing doesn't feel like the church I'm seeing in the New Testament. Right. And, uh, and then I had like a major sort of epiphany about that same time. Uh, that rocked me um, in my theology and kind of was probably the first thread that got pulled and sent me in this deconstruction direction. And that was right, right before we left to start this house church thing. Um, And so, yeah, we've been kind of been doing that ever since. And once I, once we left traditional structured church, you know, denominational church, we were part of the house church thing. um, When you take off those, um, restraints I guess sort of right it was suddenly like oh I can I can think for myself I can it's okay if I read that book or listen to this teacher or consider this other idea and maybe it's even changed my mind on some pretty big things mm. because I had no fear that oh we're gonna lose our covering we're gonna I'm gonna lose my salary you know what I mean like now people call me heretic but yeah 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 big deal um <laughs> that could <can laughs> be yeah. a big deal
0: for a lot of people but compare it to like hey I'm not gonna be able to feed my wife and kids this week and you know like yeah, yeah. Where, how am i paying the bills or it's a, a totally different type of uh, issue you know on the table yeah sure. exactly yeah wow so what were some of the because yeah, you know you could sum up in like kind of like two minutes this huge sweeping yes. journey of like going i mean like yeah very conservative uh very ingrained in christianity to the degree that you become pastor and you know involved in churches multiple churches you know a lot of times You'll hear some people of, oh, I became a pastor in a church and then I kind of left. But when you've been a, through a few churches, you know you're in the you're in the machine. You know, <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm done with this church, and I'm still thinking, I know what's next, more church. You know, <laughs> um, so you are in the machine, and 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 you're saying you start to go, ah, oh, this feels now I'm in it. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel as much what I thought it would be or it should be or what I'm reading the New Testament what, what does that mean to you what, 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 were the, what were the kind of the the key kind of um totem poles that were starting to kind of fall over um yeah. as, as you kind of like started to change your perspective and how you were seeing the church
1: yeah well so one of this is a couple of things um I think one of them was I just started noticing that the from the leadership, right? Cause I was, I was not the senior pastor. Um, so, you know, we'd have these Monday morning staff meetings with all the pastors uh, mm. there. And we kind of would do a post-mortem of Sunday morning, you know, what it just, and, and and I started realizing, well, that was one of the things, first of all, it's all about Sunday morning. Like yeah. well, everything we're about is Sunday morning. And so it was a sort of like, in my mind, I was thinking, you know what, it's gotta be more than about a sermon and a song. Like we act like that's all. This is all that matters. Is how did our performance go? Let's evaluate. How was the sermon? How was the music? How yeah. was the? How many people raised their hands or went forward for prayer? Or you know, we're counting how many people took the CD home afterwards of the sermon and or whatever. And um and I was just kind of like, I don't see Jesus doing evaluating that. And mm-hmm. then um, and then um, we got like the the pastors at this particular church I was at. You know, we, we were given very specific um instructions to like all well, this would happen during staff meetings too like oh did you see this one couple that came in did you talk to them yeah he's got his own business and he does this thing and they live here blah 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 and okay which of you pastors is going to basically recruit him and you need to bring him over to your house and have, you know, have him over for dinner and mm. let, let his kids play with your kids and basically find a way to get him on your ministry team so you can build your, you, you, yeah. each of us was yeah. working to build our little thing, right? I'm doing, I was doing youth ministry, total ministry, and we had a compassion ministry, which was serving the poor in the community, which was significant. Um, that was, that was a big key thing for us too. But anyway, I just remember when that one particular meeting where that was happening and they're like pointing out these sort of um, very successful, you know, middle-class people that we needed to. Uh, target them and right. and intentionally, you know, embrace them and welcome them so that we, we could um, uh, basically exploit them.
0: <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> so it uh, wasn't like a homeless guy come along that week and they were going, Oh, who could talk to like the homeless guy, John, did, who met with him and what, who, who's got something common with them. And could you go and sit with them on the street and like help them and maybe get them a hostel for the night and not yes. so much of a conversation, right?
1: <laughs> See, that's exactly what I did. I raised my hand and I said, you know, I hear what you guys are saying, I guess I said, but, my concern is why are, why isn't anybody saying, oh, did you guys meet Angela? She came in, she's a single mom. Um, she's mm-hmm. trying to raise these two little boys. Um, she's on welfare and she's not sure she can pay her rent. Which of you is going to invite her over for dinner? In other words, we were only looking at the people who are big tithers, um, sort of leaders, right? Sort of people that people would gravitate to. And, yeah. and I'm like, how come no one's, no one's looking for the losers? Like Mm. why why are we why are we why are why isn't our focus going down to see who are the people in trouble in need Uh, because aren't we here to I mean I don't know I thought we were here to serve them aren't we here to serve and help people who financially emotionally spiritually are just like hanging on by their fingernails that's what I think we should be focused Mm. on and not who's driving the beamer and who has a business and but that was our focus I mean and and there was no thought of the losers you know i'm like look i thought we were i thought this was all about helping the people that were at the bottom um so uh yeah that was just one of the that was one of the major things for us that was like the focus was just so off
0: so was that something that you could you were looking at the church you were in and you could see that but was that a thing that you had um experienced in your prior churches is that something you could look back on and reflect and go oh this is more systemic it's not just the church i'm a part of today it's more this is pretty common in. Uh, I don't want to say every church in the world because I know, like you know, the, yeah. <laughs> the loads of churches are doing incredible work, with, especially with the yeah. the most part. I mean, some of the most uh, um, effective and beautiful work done by uh, done in in society for the the least of these is by the church. Um, yeah. But <laughs> a big but here, um, yeah. uh, for me, my observation that's a very systemic element of how church functions. It might be that we, they run a food bank. They might be that they have this or that, but it's not necessarily with the goal that our pews are full of people that are poor and impoverished. And yeah. Th- yeah. Let's exactly. help them over there. It, but yes. is, is that something that you had seen in your kind <laughs> of, um, it wasn't just in this one church, is I guess what I'm asking. It was it was something that yeah. you could see beyond, because because you could have left this church and found a church that was probably significantly sewing into... Um, areas of social justice and, right. and had a, right. a, a Jesus driven ethic in a sense. Um, yeah, no,
1: possibly. you're right. I mean, I, I, think on that particular thing about let's target the, the guys driving the beamers and all that stuff. Yeah, that was, that was pretty unique to that particular church that I was a part right. of at that time. Um, prior, my prior experiences, if that was going on, it wasn't that overt. It wasn't that right. no one said it out loud
0: bit more subconscious Um, and yeah.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and to, I mean, to be fair, um, as I said, uh, that, that particular church that I'm kind of complaining about, that was the last one I was at before I left the whole movement, um, uh, had a very, I mean, again, one of my jobs was I was compassion ministries pastor Mm. and, and to their credit, I'll say, um, I was given an American express card from the church. It was in my wallet. And at any time, I met someone who was homeless, someone who was couldn't pay their bills. I, it doesn't even matter how many hundreds of dollars it was. I would go take them to Walmart, buy them clothes, buy them shoes, buy them food, wow. the restaurant, awesome. put them in a motel for two weeks, swipe the card, and um, and at no point wow. did anybody in the church come to me and say, "Keith, stop it! You're spending mm. too much money on the poor." Ever? So look, I wow, mean,
0: that's an incredible, incredible. Yes,
1: yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So now look. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. tooth their horn. I have never in my life seen a church who cared at least financially was that yeah. free when, so that was beautiful. Okay. Yeah. That was beautiful.
0: So it's so, not just about not care. It's not a thing of, they don't care for the poor. It sounds like they did an incredible job practically kind of seeking how to do that. Is, is it more to do with integration so, of the poor or, or assimilation? So here was,
1: yeah. Here was some of my concerns. Um, so I saw basically this divide between, okay, yeah, Keith, here's a credit card. You go do it. But it was sort of like, Keith, you go do that. Right. It wasn't an ethic of, oh, everyone who follows Christ should have a heart for people in, who are in need. And it was sort of like, Keith, we're going to pay you to do that yeah. thing for us over there. While the rest of us are going to be focused on the guys and the beamers and who have the, you know, who, who have got the, um, their businesses and their up and comers and they're the leaders. Mm-hmm. And we're going to focus on. Them as a way to basically, uh, I hate to be crass, but it was sort of like we need more butts in the seats because we need fin- finances and blah, blah blah. And and yes, thank God some of those finances were earmarked so yeah, that to I could- pay for these poor
0: people's motel food. That. Absolutely.
1: But I think more and more, I was, Wendy and I were feeling that our heart was. We just wanted to focus on those people. Like we yeah. we did feel more and more that 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 we not just church in general, but just like we needed to have more of a dedicated focus to people living in poverty and who are struggling financially and all that kind of stuff. Like in our minds, that was really one of the major things the church uh, historically had been about. Like um, mm, this was, this was one of my, my, my pivotal paradigm shift at about that time. I read this. Um, I came across this PDF article by a guy named Ray Mayhew. Um, I honestly do not remember where I found it. It's like 30 something pages. Uh, I'll send it to anybody who wants a copy of it. It blew my mind. And the send title it to me, the, please. I'll send you one. Um, the title of the article was um, embezzlement, the corporate sin of American Christianity. Now that's a radical wow. title, right? But all <laughs> it is, all it really is, is a, um, he starts historically with the, like the acts church, the first century church sure. and shows going through about 300 years of church history how caring for the poor was the heart of DNA of what it meant to follow Christ. Right. And you see it in the book of Acts, right. They the people brought their, their money and laid it at the apostles feet. For what reason to care for the widow and the orphan and people like that was what you did with your money. Mm. And so more and more, Wendy and I were like feeling like that is what church should be. That's what church has always been. And um, so we felt like God was calling us to leave and start a church that would have more of a dedicated focus like that. And so we were praying about that. And, um, we eventually said, okay, God, you know what, we'll do that. That sounds great. we want, we want, we going to leave and do that. And we even told the people, we were at this church, we felt called to leave and they were and start another church and they were like, Oh, that's awesome. That's great. We'll help you. Wow. Well, then I mean, like maybe a couple of days later, um, when you and I were praying about it, and we both felt very strongly that what God was saying is, by the way, this church, I want you to leave and start. I want you to give 100% of the offering to the poor in the community and not keep anything for itself. Now, on the one hand, that sounded awesome. Like I could not, absolutely could not wait for someone Mm -hmm. to ask me about this church. Hey, Keith, tell tell me about your church. Well, do you know we take 100% of the offering and we don't spend any of it on ourselves? not, Not a dime for coffee, donuts, sound system rent, salary, nothing. All of it goes to help the poor in the community. Whoa, who does that, right? Man, I just couldn't wait to tell that story. Mm. But the practical side of me was going, I got to feed my family. Uh-huh. <laughs> How the heck am I going to start a church that does not keep anything for itself and gives everything away? Mm. I, mean, I mean, God, I love this vision, but I don't know that it's possible. So we spent a while praying about that <clears throat> because we really loved it. And we really felt like that was what God was saying. But we just couldn't figure out how in the world we were going to pull that off. And um, so we kept praying about it. And then eventually, Wendy, just, Wendy and I were praying about it one time. And we said, amen. And she just kind of looked up at me. And she said, I think we're talking about a house church. Hmm. And up to that point, I'd never been to one. I never knew anyone who was doing one. I just sounded like, honestly, it was, I thought it was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard in my life who does that? A house church? Okay. But she was dead serious. She was, I mean, look, I looked in her face and her eyes, she was dead serious. And I was like, well, okay, I don't know what this is all about, but I guess we're going to give it a shot. So we did. And um, like we ended up doing that for like 11 years and it was Mm. the best thing I've ever done with the word church on it. It was unbelievably amazing Um, because it wasn't just that we were giving offering to the poor in the community, the whole house church experience, Um, we got to experience kind of like a first century church experience where Jesus really was our leader. I wasn't the pastor. I wasn't the, I didn't do all the talking. Mm -hmm. In fact, sometimes I would leave the room and I wouldn't come back in the room until everybody else was sharing. And I would sit at the back. Like I I refused to be the pastor and the teacher and the leader. Like I I wanted us to learn how to gather around Jesus and to let the spirit lead the meeting Mm -hmm. and all that. So we experienced some amazing stuff. Through those eleven years, um, did you feel just, tension in um, in that dynamic? Because um, I, I know
0: I, I don't know if you're, I'm assuming you're probably familiar with Frank Viola's Pagan Christianity and how that oh, yeah, sparked a, a whole brand new house church movement throughout kind of a lot of the West. Um, yeah. He wrote his follow up book. I think it was uh, Reimagining Christianity or something like that. Re- yeah, reimagining
1: Church. Reimagining. Sure, that's
0: church. right. And, and basically, it was the problem was he was like, oh, well, we weren't trying to start a house church movement or anything, but this happened. But what's fascinating is when you ha- look at all these house churches. Immediately, what happens is everyone is, sits in a circle. You've got ten people in the living room, and they all look to Keith. Yep.
1: Okay. Well,
0: Keith, that's what happens. Start it up. And so, yeah. How did you go about reconditioning? Because these are people that have spent their entire lives being conditioned to. Look to the pastor. Look to whoever's going to speak next. Who's And, and if they're not there, well, who's next down the top? Oh, assistant yep. pastor, maybe a youth pastor, maybe an elder. Oh, we've <laughs> we got a deacon anywhere. Jeez, have, have we got the person who does the announcements? Someone come to our rescue. You know, there's this Thanks. kind of like hierarchy of it's definitely not me. <laughs> how, right. how did you go about like um, helping people kind of come out of that? Because I know I this. I mean, I, I'm t- talking to people that haven't been to church in, in five years and, and are completely um disconnected from that world and yet starting to re-explore spirituality and starting to find a new language and go oh i actually kind of like this it makes me question if i've thrown christianity away too soon maybe there's some of this i need to do but they almost immediately fall back into the pattern of treating me like the pastor and it's like oh phil tell us the answer to this oh phil what should i do in this and i'm like oh my gosh like you're you've been detoxed for five years and you've gone straight back in yeah. Um, and this is on like Instagram DM, it's not even, you know, in a, in a, in a room or anything. Um, yeah, h- how did you go about that? H- how did yeah. you go about like helping people kind of break out of that concept? I mean, leaving the room probably was, that does a bit, I, I imagine. One of the
1: things, yeah. So you're right. So that is exactly what we experienced. Probably the first two or three years was the most difficult transitional period, because like you said, exactly what you said, we're conditioned to think of church this way, that there's a leader and a pastor. So, um, so, I mean, from the beginning, what we told everybody that came into the house church, we set up for them, Hey, this is what this is supposed to be. Okay. The vision, right. The practice. Um, the idea is we are all members of the body of Christ, members of the priesthood of all believers. We all have uh, something of Christ ourselves to share. It's sort of like a potluck dinner. I'm inviting you to come and everyone brings something they've prepared in advance to share, to nurture Mm -hmm. and feed and bless. The rest of us here, right? So kind of get your mind around it. Um men, women, young, old, anybody is free to share, you know, you don't have to, we're not gonna put you on the spot, but everybody's welcome and encouraged to do this, uh, to share in a way that's very first Corinthians 12, right? So we set all that up and I and uh, I would repeat that as often as I needed to when we had visitors and just to remind us, hey, this is what we're doing here. This is the vision. However, even though you tell people that, like you said in the beginning especially, somebody would open up their Bible, they would they, I have a question I was reading last night and I read this or, and you know, what does that mean? And then everybody looks at me and in the <laughs> beginning I would answer those questions because I was, you know, mm. I was happy to show everybody how smart I was and, uh, oh, I know that. And, but I kept doing that and kept doing that. And what I recognized was, yeah, we're not, we're not putting into practice our vision, which was supposed to be that all mm. of us do. And, um, I really feel like the Holy Spirit even told me, Keith, stop doing that. Stop mm. answering all their questions. Um, In fact, my friend Neil Cole, who's also written some books on uh, organic church, um, he he he's has a great phrase. He says, "You shouldn't be if you're one of these people, sort of starting one of these groups. You should not allow yourself to be the Bible answer man. Mm. You need to be the Bible question man." Um, Now, I didn't know, or I didn't really know Neil very well at the time, but but I did hear the Holy Spirit telling me, "Stop doing this, Keith. Stop being the answer Mm. man." So I remember this one particular Sunday, we're sitting there, one of the ladies opens her Bible. She says, I was reading this on Isaiah, and um, she reads it, and she goes, what does that mean? And it was like the Holy Spirit was just like screaming at me, don't answer. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> it's like pulling back the leash of the dog. <laughs> yeah. <like. laughs> yeah. So, so I just, I, I told I remember what I did. I just leaned back. I closed my Bible, and I said, you know, I'm not sure. I, what do you guys think? Mm. And I shut my mouth. And it took about 15 minutes because everybody else was like, well, they'd open their Bibles. Well, when, when this one part of what you read reminds me of this other verse over here. And let's turn to that one and read what that one says. Yeah, and then someone goes, yeah, you know, I think you're right. And I think maybe it also ties to this other thing. And then we go to this other verse. I mean, but they were doing it. I was just sitting and watching. It yeah. took them about 15 minutes. Everybody else kind of like talks out, talks about it and wrestles with it. And this, what about this verse? What about that? Oh, no, I think it's this. I think it's that. Blah, blah, blah. And at the end of 15 minutes, they together as a group Got it. They said, oh, oh, you know what I think it means? I think it means dot, 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 which mm. is exactly what I was going to tell them 15 minutes ago.
2: Right.
1: But the excitement that I saw in them digging it out, working it out, working together, collaborating together, and digging that answer out of the ground like a diamond was like, oh, my gosh, it's this, right? Mm. That, that excitement and discovery of, "Ah, oh, I got it. If I had just handed it to them, Keith, what does that mean? It means da da da. Well, then they go. Well, maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. That's what Keith thinks. Whatever. Yeah. But I'm telling you, man, when they fought for it and dug it out and worked it out and worked together to get it, and they got it, ah, oh, you could never, you couldn't take it away from them, right? Yeah. And they were excited Absolutely. about it. And once I saw that, it was like the Holy Spirit said, "That's it." Do that. Do more of that. So I just got kind of addicted to the whole, I don't know, what do you think it means? Or like I said, sometimes I would just leave the room because they would all sit and wait for me, right? Like I would lead worship sometimes with my guitar and the beginning. And then we'd finish, but we'd all sit there. And I knew what they were waiting for was to me to kind of start talking. So I would just, while everybody's head was bowed, it was all kind of quiet. I just silently, I'd put my guitar down and I'd creep out. And I would go in the other room. Um, And one of of the guys in our group said the first time he visited was one of the times I did that. And uh, he said he looked up and I was gone. And we sat there for a few minutes. He was and everybody else started sharing and talking and spontaneously. Right. And then after about 10 minutes, someone said something. And then I spoke, but I was behind him. And he turned around like, oh, he's there, but he was sitting quietly. Right. And he just blew his mind. He was like, he totally came expecting this group is going to be Keith talking. Right. And it wasn't. And it was like, he was like, wow, that was really different. So yeah, there are things like, there are things you, we need to do to uh, facilitate more of that open sharing, uh, giving people not just instruction and expectation, but then actually doing things that, uh, make it easier for them to do that, so I teach people how to do this kind of stuff i have a, I've written books on it i I've, I've, I've actually had an online course uh, about how to start a home based ecclesia mm-hmm. kind of based on all the mistakes I made in the past uh, in this area and and trying to give people some practical tools because see I think this is what's missing like I love Frank Viola and I think that pagan Christianity book is the bomb yep. um, uh, and even reimagining church I think is great and 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 there's a lot of books out there that talk about the sort of the the why we should meet this way like bi- basing on biblical principles and church history and this is the way and no hierarchy and control i agree totally agree all that yes but what i what i've noticed is there's almost nothing that i have found that says mm, but how do i do, do this? there's i mean i can tell you what it's not but it's really difficult to define something by what it isn't right yep. it's not a bible study it's not shrinking what happens on Sunday morning into your living room where you're a pa- you're teaching and there's a worship leader and there's a children's pastor and it's just in your living room. Mm. It's not not it's not this. It's not this. It's not this. Okay, great. I know what it isn't, but what is it? And even when I know what it is, how do I practically do that? Yeah. And a, a, a lot of it is a list of things not to do. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. don't steer the conversation. Don't decide ahead of time what the what the topic is going to be. Don't don't try to steer it around. Right. Don't fill the silences. Mm. All these things. So, uh, but it's a, it's a, it's developing some new disciplines for yourself, uh, and maybe for yourself, what you need to do is leave the room.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds to me like, so I've, I've experienced this in many different capacities myself, this kind of journey as well of, of taking a step back and letting something happen. Um, but it's, it's a form of dying to self for sure, you know, um, and there is definitely, um, like you're saying, those first couple of years, you're suddenly like, especially if you, you've been the assistant pastor or, you know, the community pastor or whatever, the <laughs> compassion pastor, suddenly you're like, oh, I'm, I'm the pastor? When they ask questions, they don't ask them. They ask me. And I have the answers. And everyone... <laughs> when they hear my answers or goes oh, oh wow that's good or whatever or maybe they just say oh you're an idiot uh, but <laughs> but on the whole it's like oh this feels this is this is a an ego feeder right you can see why people get addicted to uh, being at the top of the hierarchy and you can see why people want to climb the hierarchical kind of thing um not to say that anyone is um doing it out of a, a a bad heart, but I just think that's genuinely just part of our human nature to want people to approve us, to, it's it's our insecurities are fed, all sorts of different things are are fed in that system. But for me, that's, that's the thing of, when I hear that story, like initially, I'm like, oh, how do you even begin doing this? And then hearing you tell it, I'm like, oh man, the biggest work actually wasn't for other people to learn to chat. It was for you to go, oh, I need to take a step back because it's really hard, especially like that first example you gave, you know, you're like, okay, they came to the conclusion, I was gonna say. In one sense, it's 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 a whole different thing if they come to a different conclusion. But when they're coming to your conclusion, you're like, oh, it would have been easier if I just said it. I didn't have to wait right. here for 20 minutes watching these idiots fumble around to come up with the right answer. I <laughs> right. could have gave you an answer in one sentence. Or yeah, um, or or maybe it's actually worse when they come up with a completely different answer because then the thing is built in as right that we, well, there is a right answer and they don't have it. Right, right? Well, maybe and, they have that's better a better answer. Another right? issue. That's-
1: that's yeah, I'm sure
0: that happens a lot of the time. Eventually <laughs> oh. you go, oh, I've just learned something.
1: Yeah, imagine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do I have something to learn? Right. Mm. Yeah, you see, uh, it, you're right. It's so much about, it is about an ego thing. It is about letting your ego die. I, I got to say, I kind of had already learned a little bit of that lesson in the previous church we were at, right? Right. Because I wasn't the lead pastor. Um, so I, I would preach maybe, you know, once a quarter. I would, they, would, they would ask me to come and, you know, preach a sermon on a Sunday morning. And, um, so here's, I got to tell the story cause this is, this was one of the key moments where the Holy spirit really dealt with me on this mm. ego thing. So I, I, it was one of those times I'd, i preached, right. So I preached this message and I, I mean, I cared so much about this. I was so excited about it. Um, and I, I, worked on it and I gave this and I thought, wow, that was great. And now here's what I also was already recognizing was I was getting way too much of an ego boost out of these things. Right. It was, in other words, I, I was recognizing kind of unhealthy for me to be the guy up on the podium because I, I realized I got a little too much out of the oh Keith that was so good or the pat on mm. the back oh man it was beautiful and it would just kind of like inflate me you know what I mean I could feel it like that's not good that's why it's a drug
2: I-? it's a drug it is.
1: yeah yeah and so I was already kind of about that but anyway I had preached this one time and um and I think like a two weeks later we had this conference where he had this guy come in. Uh, From out of town. He was a big author speaker guy. And he was doing like a weekend, a whole weekend thing, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, six sessions, you know, whatever. Mm. So Friday night, he comes in, he gives his opening message. And I swear to you, man, it's the same message I had preached two weeks ago when I was preaching. And the reaction, I hear everybody afterwards going, oh, my gosh, that was so awesome. I've never heard that in my life. That just changed my mind. That blew my mind. Oh, my gosh, that was so good. And inside, I'm dying yeah. because I'm going, I preached that same message from the same pulpit two weeks ago. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, I want to pull my so hair funny. out, right? Okay. So I'm praying about this, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in my quiet time, whatever, with God. Like, that's the next day, the Saturday. And I'm, I'm processing hearing people say this. And getting really tweaked about it. And it's like the Holy Spirit just says, hey, Keith, if you loved these people in this church, you'd be rejoicing right now. Because the message that two weeks ago you really wanted them to get it, they got it. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you happy? Why aren't you going, oh, they finally got it. This was such an important message. And finally, finally, they grasped it. This beautiful truth, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm not. I'm not happy. I'm angry. Why am I angry? Because I didn't get the credit for it. Yeah. Because they're not praising my name. They, oh Keith taught me this and that. Honestly, that that weekend that was, that was such a powerful shift for me. Like, okay, yeah, I need to love people getting it more than I love how they get it, <laughs> and and more yeah. and love that they get it from me, right? And so it, so it really started to shift the way even the way I teach. You know what I mean? Um, to, the, that it, it has to be more about do people get it? And then I don't really care how they get it, right? Yeah. So so then like in the house church context, so like, you know about a year or so later, we started this house church thing. And then I started feeling this shift that I, it needed to be more about asking questions, uh, teaching other people how to study for themselves, how to think for themselves, and then taking joy out of seeing them get it right without my help you know the only help i'm giving the only thing i can say is like well i facilitated a conversation or i i created and protected an environment that allowed that to happen Mm -hmm. and 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 honestly that's enough for me i mean because honestly it's so rare like almost no one that i've ever seen very few people i've ever seen um have created that environment like that that isn't driven by the leader. It's not about the ego of that person. Oh. And it genuinely is about the Jesus and about the Holy Spirit and about the people growing in Christ in you know tangible, real, observable ways. Um, like that that became my joy. It was like, oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter if my 12-year-old son was the one who said, oh, you know what? I think the verse means this. All right. Or you know what I'm saying? It was like, all I cared about was ah, they got that. That was awesome, right? And like you said, um, I I learned a lot. Mm. Uh, the realization okay. that I don't know everything. Imagine, I don't know everything. I have things to learn. Um, so I mean, all of that was really, really good. It was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And that's why one of the things why I say it's the greatest thing I've ever experienced in church.
2: Wow, yeah. Did you,
0: did you go into... Um starting this kind of house church um, model, did you um, go into it expecting it to be like this? Did you did you have in your head it being a lot, uh, a, a very decentralized system? Did you have in your head, oh, we're going to be kind of very discussion-based, it's not going to be the Keith Giles show, you know? Like, is that something that you had going in or was that something that kind of slowly kind of evolved and came about?
1: I think that was our ideal going in. Um, so... Frank Viola's book hadn't been written yet uh, when we hmm. started this. Um, the, the books, there were two books that someone gave to me um, that I think helped to create that, expe- that desire, that expectation for us. So one of them was a, it's a book by Wolfgang Simpson called Houses That Change the World. And there's another one by Robert and Julia Banks called The Church Comes Home. Hmm. And between those two books, after I read those books, those two books kind of gave me um, a vision for something that wasn't man-led, man-directed, mm. but was spirit-led. Now, again, it still didn't tell me how to do it, but I sort of had the, the, the ideal of, well, that's where we want to get to. Right. But then what I experienced was it's really hard to get there because all my training and background has, has been about another model. That it doesn't work, and so I started just trying to back out of that model and make myself not the focus anymore, and to really focus everybody's attention on Jesus. Um, so it took a while to get there, and then once you get there, yeah, it takes a while to to remind everybody, you know, that this is the goal. But I'm telling you, once people got it, um, it was great. And what I loved—that's one of the things I loved about it. People don't believe me. Because they're like, if, if people know about me because they read my books, or they read my blog, or they listen to my podcast, right? So they imagine, oh, well, you're, if I go to your house church, it's going to be the Keith Show. Yeah. And um, I'm telling you, man, one of the things I am so proud of <laughs> is that I don't, I don't think anybody in our house church for the 11 years read my blog. I don't think they read my books. I mean, they knew I wrote books. They knew I had a blog. They, listened, sure. they, didn't, listen to my, they didn't listen to my podcast. And so it wasn't uh, like, it wasn't something I had to fight very hard. It mm. was like, sort of like, we're not here because of Keith. And that was one of yeah. the main things I wanted to make sure it was happening. Like if anybody ever said, Hey Keith, I read your blog. I listened to your podcast, I read your book. I want to come to your house church. That for me was a red flag. Yeah. Like, are you coming for me? Or are you coming because you genuinely in your heart desire this kind of a gathering? Because yeah. those are two different things. Yeah.
0: Because I've been to, I, so in my experience, I my background is I've traveled and spoken. I did a lot of that in churches, conferences, things like that. And as I've um, personally been through my own journey and, and my expression of what my journey has been has changed, that has rapidly shifted over the years. And so there was a season where it was a lot more house churchy. And now it's just yeah. like, oh, we don't actually have anything, but I guess we could just put something in a house for you (laughs) get together in a house let's do that or a pub or whatever so it's it's kind of evolved in in different ways but i've I've been and spoken participated and tried to facilitate conversations in a lot of house churches and in my experience a lot of house churches are the whoever show and and they they are started by Groups of people that that leave a church, but generally speaking, do end up gravitating towards certain groups of people. So, I guess my my next question—I uh, even—I no anticipation of talking about churches today, but it's so cool I didn't and really interesting. Know. I did not know, I had yeah. like an authority on the fact. Uh, but um, one thing that's fascinating to me is okay, so it's one thing for you. So you become a bit self-aware. You have this amazing moment while you're at church, going, "Ah, crap! This is uh, this is a lot more about people getting it from me than actually people getting it." oh, that's not a good revelation to have. I need to work on that. So you work on that for a year. You start your head stretch. You're kind of quite primed for this journey of going, okay, I'm going to step out of the room. Or, okay, I'm even okay saying, I don't know. No wonder people aren't reading your blog, man. Did you read Keith's blog? The guy that says, I don't know at the beginning every time? No, he doesn't know anything. Uh, um, Right? So you've you've primed yourself to become like uh, free enough to go, I don't mind if they don't think I have the answers. I don't mind if they don't go, oh, but Keith said it. That's the most important perspective in the room. But, what may in my experience naturally happen is that like that uh natural kind of hierarchy comes into play where, okay, so when we sit in a room, we all know we look at Keith. And Keith's got his mouth shut and then he leaves the room. Okay, what's Keith? why what's Wendy saying? Or what is what does Bob say? We know Bob's got opinions. Bob, what do you what's your opinion? Because I think for a lot of people, there isn't a desire to figure it out. There's a desire to be told. Yeah. Um How do you go about managing that dynamic where in a discussion, you're still, you put 10 people in the room, three people are having a discussion, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a very natural, I I had um, my friend Andre on a a couple of weeks ago on the podcast and we talked about, there's a model of discussion called um, community of inquiry. I don't know if you've come across it before, but it's a fantastic model of how to facilitate discussions where everyone kind of. Um, breaks into groups and then they vote on what they want to discuss on in a small group and then you get together and you vote on each group's uh, perspective and as a big group you decide which kind of areas you want to talk about um, and the, the facilitator doesn't make any decisions um, yep. and so it's a great model for something like that and, and then the model is that whoever comes up with whoever, um, whoever's idea or question was picked they speak first but then they pick who's going to speak next. And then mm. they pick who's going to speak next. And then yeah. they pick. And so what happens is everyone knows the last guy that spoke for 20 minutes is not getting picked again. Right. That's just right. When he puts his hand up to have a share, you're like, anyone else want to go? Okay. I pick yes. you. Um, yes. And so it naturally kind of whittles that out. But I don't know many people that are using um, models like that. They feel a bit forced and awkward. And I've done those and they're great, but they can feel really forced and, and very. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I'm Yeah. I, so. Different. Yeah, so how do you I'm, go
0: about that dynamic when you've got a group of people? I'm sure you had some strong-willed people in, in that home group.
1: Yes, so you're right. Um, first of all, I I appreciate models like that and structures like that, but I am such an anti-structure guy. Like I'm against.
2: <laughs> I'm
0: an anarchist at the heart, honestly. Yeah. So yeah. Now,
1: <laughs> now, however, however, um, there are like so one of the roles that I felt like Wendy and I both. Took on in the house church, but it wasn't just us. Um, I always say, like, we had um, we had elders in our gathering, okay. but they weren't called elders, and no, no one called. Like, I never, I never deputized somebody and said, "Okay, these people here, there are elders." Because again, I think it creates this hierarchy of you know control and leadership. Like, I don't want that. I don't want them looking to people that way. So I never named anybody because people would ask, "Do you have elders in your group?" And I'd say, "Yeah." And and people know who they are. I don't need to say anything. It's mm. like it's like. In other words, if you were part of our house church family for a long time, and you had you wanted someone to pray for you about something, or you needed advice about something, or you weren't sure about this or that, or you wanted or whatever. Yeah. you know, who you, you know who to you, go to. You already know the people that you trust. You know mm-hmm. the people that you feel like, yeah, you know, I'm I, I want to ask them about that. And it wasn't always me. I mean, that's great. So I got to see other people sort of grow into these things, and people just recognized. If I have a question about this, I'm going to ask this person. If I have a prayer for this, I'm going to ask that person. And it was, so it was a very natural thing. So, But in the dynamic of what you're saying, like how you're in the group and who's dominating. So the facilitating part of it is, um, so let's say, again, someone shares and they overshare uh, or they're, they're doing all the talking, right? So part of the facilitator's job, and this is what I would try to do, and you have to be very delicate, uh, is to say, you, you know, hey, hey, brother. I love what you're saying, this is really cool. But remember, our goal is that everybody has time, everybody has freedom and opportunity to share. We wanna hear what everybody uh, has to share this morning and we've heard a lot, you've know, you you've had a lot of time. So why don't we just hear what anybody else has to share? Does anybody else have something who hasn't spoken yet? Mm-hmm. So you kinda of need to jump in and, and and very gently, you know, respectfully remind that person, um, yeah, this isn't about one or two of us going off. Is really about giving everybody opportunity because we want to hear what the spirit yeah. is saying to everybody. And then, and usually that's it. I mean, I don't think I ever had any problem with someone getting offended by that. It was like, Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so it's, and then maybe sometimes it would be um, I also went through a season. I didn't, I didn't mention this. I also went through a season where um, um, I felt like the, the Holy spirit told me uh, that I was, I was only given about 20 minutes. Like at one time I could, talk for and then then I had to shut up. And then eventually it got to be where literally the Holy Spirit just said, I don't want you talking at all. And so I would not say anything. I would spend the entire meeting just listening and observing. And when and when I did that, it was a beautiful discipline because when I wasn't talking and I wasn't getting ready to talk, mm. I was literally just listening. And I was also observing the faces of the people in the room. I could notice Like this person over here in the corner or on the couch over here, like I can the spirit is doing something. I can see they're troubled or they're moved or there's something happening there. And and so I could see that because I wasn't the one talking and I wasn't waiting for my turn. I was just seeing what was what the spirit was doing in the room. And and then I would sometimes I would know to say, Hey sister, was there something you wanted to share? Or hey, I felt like when, when he said that about this it seemed like that really resonated with you. Do, you. do you feel comfortable sharing with that? And like suddenly, you know what I mean? Like I'm, awesome. I'm able to notice things and uh, prompt things that the spirit might be doing in the room, but I would never have even noticed that if I hadn't shut my mouth. So, it, you know what I mean? That kind of thing was Absolutely. very helpful. That was a yeah. very practical thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, you do have to kind of fight against that, yeah. right? That whole this thing is- of like, yeah.
0: You know, it's so interesting. I, I, I think that's fantastic. I, I love that. and I've definitely noticed that in my in my own kind of meetings. And what I do now is more discussion than, than kind of preaching or anything like that. and yeah um, sometimes you're in a situation where that's what they want from you and you, you kind of work with the system you've got. Sure. But generally speaking, I'm trying to break that down. Um, but I, I often start you know, I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, right, we've got an hour. there's 60 people in this room. That means if ring. you talk for more than one minute. every extra minute you talk you've taken, Someone else's opportunity else. to share. Um, I want you to be thinking about you know just sharing at the beginning. Just be aware of that. Now it's a different thing if you are you're going. I have nothing to share, but you said something really interesting. Can you talk an extra minute on that? Like that's a whole other yeah. dynamic. Yeah,
1: but if I give it every extra, it, yeah.
0: but let someone give you their time. Don't take it from them. Um, and I found that people engage with that, submarine so obviously, I mean, I, I am the least uh, concise person in the world and I can ramble for months. I do a QA and I'll do like a three hour Q&A and I get like, you know, two questions done. Uh, you know, it's like I just, just on and on and on. Um, and so um, I'm very aware of that. That's why I shifted these podcasts to be in longer form because I'm like, oh, God, we'll just not get through the first question or interesting <laughs> discussion. Or, um, so, But what I want to go back to is, is talking about that hierarchy element where there's just natural elders in society. You just know it. You know, if I've got a problem with... Um, uh, with my sex life or my marriage, I'm going to go to that couple because I trust and value their relationship yep. and whatever. And, oh, if I've got a problem in my work, I'm going to go to that guy. Cause I know he's got a great work ethic in this. and this. And you just know there's certain people that come to these positions and generally speaking, um, there'll be a, a select few that have risen to a prominent position in, in a few areas that kind of elevates them above the rest of the group as a authority, as as a person to look to, as a person that garners respect and honor and whatever else. Now, I think that's naturally, this is kind of what Frank Viola's point was, that this is just kind of the way that humans work. You go into any tribe, any culture, any community, you go into a church, you go into a business, you go into um, a family, you go into an indigenous tribe group, this is there. There's groups Mm -hmm. of people that have different dynamics. Um, Now, you're talking about a hierarchy free church you know all that and yet you're also saying well yeah but we did have kind of like some of these kind of elements of like we, we you know they're not like we're not saying like these guys are in charge or these guys are better yeah. or if we're gonna vote well there's 28 people here but really it comes down to these five votes or you know i, I know that you're not kind of trying to say that but but there is an element that's just natural uh, how do you how do you go about um communicating to people, look, you're valuable, you're worth something, your opinion is very valuable. Because it's very hard to feel like your opinion matters, you know, when you are a newlywed couple and you're talking about marriage and there's a three couples that have been married for 30 years in the room, you're like, ah, what do I know? You know, like it, it's very... And I think that's just how naturally, maybe if we take away the the greed, the ego, the the insecurities, the hurt, you take those kind of negative motivations, put them aside. I think there's a lot of like healthy elements of this that probably have also fed into why the church works the way it works sometimes. So it's not just some nefarious evil within humanity that's made the church the structure it is and the hierarchies it has and things like that. I think actually it's part of our general working as society. Um, were you aware of that dynamic, and and you know, as as a leader of something, it sounds like you were still kind of in charge or a leader of something. You know, they come to your house, you're still kind of facilitating. You're still going, oh well, what do you think? And you're trying to kind of lead. Were you aware of that dynamic that there were people that probably had a stronger say in the group? There were people that um, probably held more um, respect, honor. I, I'm trying to I, it's yeah. hard to articulate because. On, on, on a sense, they seem very similar, but they're, they're very different at the same time. I, I don't know if you can kind of like articulate that in, in a better way than I could um, yeah, or even talk hard. to that dynamic.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, there, there are some subtle nuances, right, to what you're saying. <clears throat> like I think, um, but they're definitely real and they're significant. So it's difficult, like you said, if someone hasn't experienced what I'm talking about, um, when I describe it, they may say, oh, that just sounds like this. Well, no, it really isn't, (laughs) but it's like, it's until you experience the difference between these things, there's a world of difference between them. So one example is something like how I I started noticing in in, uh, the book of Acts, whenever Paul and Barnabas would go through and they would basically start, establish some sort of a ecclesia, a a church, they would leave. They would spend maybe sometimes months, maybe a year, and then they would leave and they would continue on and they would come back sometimes more than a year later. Um, and then they would recognize elders. It doesn't say they appointed them. Mm. And I think appointing is different than recognizing. And that's kind of what I'm saying. I think um, you have to, uh, again, create an environment that is not top down, where we don't tell people what it's gonna be. We just wait to to observe what is, what becomes. Um, And then again, once we all recognize it, I don't need to put a star on it. I don't need to put a sign on it and go, this is this like, well, duh, of course it is. Mm. But I don't need, but the minute I put a sign on it or, or a title on it, or I give somebody a badge elder or whatever, um, then it becomes an office and it becomes something to aspire to or becomes something to hold over other people mm-hmm. versus um, everybody recognizing that brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so they do this. And why do they do it? Because it's who they are. It's part of their spiritual gifting. It's a natural part of who they are in Christ. And you know why they do those things and say those things and behave that way? Because they love us. Mm. Not because I got this job title, right? And um, so one of the things I think that's really, really helpful, and maybe this was something that we, I think we probably did spend some time on it um, early on in in our house church uh, experience, was um the first corinthians 12 kind of idea where we went through it which was you know we're, this is the this is the part of the bible where paul describes a body and we use the phrase the body of christ all the time in general to refer to just any kind of church but paul had a very specific idea in mind and in his mind i would argue if it didn't look like this and behave this way and operate this way it's not a body because right. it's a, it's not just about it's not a metaphor without meaning it's a metaphor that describes the way things are and the way things should be i think the way paul explains in first corinthians 12 is we have one head and that's christ not any of us it's christ and the rest of us um are members of a body we are parts of the body and but here's the beautiful thing about this description of the fact that each one of us is um a member of the body of Christ. We are, we are, we are a part of the body. We have a unique function. We have a unique purpose and every part of the body is essential. If my liver right now decided I don't want to participate in Keith's body anymore, my entire body would know it. We would go, Oh gosh. Right. If any one of my organs, any one of my body parts decided, I'm not part of the body anymore. I don't want to participate. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not valued. So I'm out of here or whatever. The entire body would feel it, but at the same time, if that part of the body is doing the thing it was created and designed for, the entire body grows and is healthy, and we can all appreciate. Thank you <laughs> that this part of my body is working the way it's supposed to. So we communicated that we actually did go around. I mean, we spent some time uh, going through spiritual gifts, like what are the spiritual gifts that are described in the in the Bible, and we would. I, I literally, I remember, I had a pad of paper with everybody's name on it, and we went around the room. And people would self-identify, well, I think I've got the gift of encouragement. I think I have the gift of teaching. I think I have the gift of hospitality. Um, some people inevitably would say, you know, I don't think I have any spiritual gifts. And mm. and immediately, everybody else in the body would go, what are you talking about? You have the gift of exhortation. You have the gift of hospitality. Remember that time this happened and so-and-so and you jumped mm. in and you you have the gift of generosity. You are sharing and giving. And they could they could point to specific things. About this person and say, "Oh no, no, we see. Again, we, we're recognizing you absolutely have these three gifts." Mm. And so, I, I, so I wrote it all down. And by the end of that exercise, everybody in our house church family understood they had a purpose and a meaning, mm. and a, and and the body depend. We needed, needed them. them. We, in other words, everybody matters. Everybody is essential. There's no one in the body of Christ who is superfluous. We need you. You are valued. Your voice, your gift, your presence, just the fact that you're here and that you're part of what we're doing, it means so much to us. Mm. Now, if a, if a house church group can really wrap their brain around that, believe it, accept it, and practice that, Mm. No one in the group feels like they don't matter. No one feels like they have nothing to contribute and they understand how important they are. And, and so then it becomes like, I don't want Keith's job because I got mine and it's, it's a natural part of who I am. It's like, I don't even have to think about it. It's just who I am and it's valued and it's necessary. Right. Mm. And so then it becomes something where whatever you're gifting, whatever your place in the body, this is the other key thing about it. It isn't for you. Mm. It's for the rest of us, right? So, especially the teaching gift, I think sometimes gets elevated to the point where the teacher thinks it's about him. It isn't. Oh. It's for everybody else. So, uh, give me a second. I'm going I'm to do this last illustration and then I'll shut mm. up. No,
2: that's good. Because
1: um, this is what I think is so exciting to me about the First Corinthians 12 model. So, for, practically, here's how it works out. So, let's say we all come together, 20 of us get together on a Sunday morning. Someone came that morning and they have, they have so much discouragement right? So they come with discouragement. The Holy Spirit gives the gift of encouragement, not directly to that guy, but to this guy over here. So Jesus gives encouragement to this person so that they can use the gift of encouragement to encourage the person that came who was discouraged. Let's say somebody else comes and they're really confused about something they don't understand. They, there's, a, there's a scripture verse or there's some concept. They don't understand it. The Holy Spirit, rather than give enlightenment to this person will give the teaching gift to this other person so that this person can explain something to this person right so it's this sort of a triangle right mm-hmm. someone comes with a need the holy spirit has given a gift to this other person that through this other person the holy spirit is going to meet this need of this other person mm-hmm. so if all of us come to the house church gathering with the gift we have been given to give we're gonna we should encounter somebody maybe not it's not every sunday every time but you know in general sure. if someone had the need well god is god is prepared to meet the need through something he's given to me and there's a measure of humility in that uh in service of that of like washing someone's feet helping someone who ha- who needs something that wow you get to be the one today to to meet that need so the difference is this this is my last thing the difference the shift for us was this uh, we we all used to go to church sunday morning or maybe even come back from church after after a meeting, um, thinking either like on the way to church thinking, well, I hope I get blessed today, or coming home thinking, well, yeah, the sermon didn't bless me today. I didn't think the worship music was that great, and yeah, the guy that prayed for me was kind of a doofus, mm-hmm. but whatever. Right. So the shift in what we're talking about is, I go to church thinking, God, I hope I get to be a blessing today to someone yeah. else, and if that's my mindset, we all go home blessed <laughs> that we either got blessed by someone else or we got to be a blessing to somebody else and so all of us go home thinking and feeling wow that what a blessing it. it was today yeah. to be together
0: mm, absolutely Keith I want to I want to um move into because there's a there's a season beyond this season we're talking about correct yes so, oh gosh <laughs> yeah you're like yeah, yeah, and some <laughs> so um how did you get from where, where this season in your life, um, to where you are right now? What, 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 what kind of, um, spurred you into this next season? And, and, and what do you talk a bit about what you're doing now? Cause I, I think this thing that you're doing right now is, it's, uh, probably the most relevant to, to the audience that that's listening to this, I think on the whole.
1: Yeah. Well, um, Help me through this, Phil, because if I don't, mm. if I'm not answering your question.
0: Oh, no. Well, there is no question. It was a very ambiguous, loose, <laughs> yeah, thing. yeah. still so, talking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wherever we go here. I mean, kind of what I'm doing now, I kind of was, I started doing it during the house, when we were doing the house church. Uh, we did this for 11 years in, in Southern California. Um, and I was always blogging. I was blogging during that time about our experiences. And then some of those uh, blogging turned into some self-publishing. I wrote and self-published a few books. Um, and then over well, the last couple of years of the house church experience, I, I got up, I was, I got published through choir publishing and the, so I, then I started publishing books through a publisher. Um, and now I'm like four books. My fifth book's going to come out next, hopefully next month, um, awesome. through choir. And so I, uh, so I, have always been a writer. I love writing and it's always been kind of a dream of mine to publish and to write books. And so I've, I've moved more into that direction. Mm. Um, Um, God has opened a lot of doors for me. And again, it started really simple, super small locally, you know, doing an event here, a little tiny conference here, like 20 people or, you know, whatever kind of sharing some things I've learned and things that, that God has been showing me again, always trying to be mindful of this. Um, what we already talked about the thing about, like, it is isn't about me Mm -hmm. being the rock star. It really is more about like, can people get it? Can I help people get things and understand things that, that they don't understand yet. And, um, so yeah, I've been doing that for a while. Um, and I started doing this podcast heretic happy hour with a couple of friends of mine, which has just been one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life. And it's, Mm. it's been, it's opened so many opportunities for me as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing a lot recently is, um, really moving into being a full-time author Mm. Again, it was something that for the longest time I thought was a dream. Like never. Hey, that's ridiculous. That'll never happen. Um, but <clears throat> it seems like at least for the last year, that's been my reality. That is what I'm doing is sure. full time. I just wow. write my books and my blogs and the podcast and do some events. I teach some online courses. Um, that's kind of the where I've stepped into. And then most recently, um, as in like two weeks ago, um, Wendy and I have um, accepted an invitation to serve as the program directors for something called Peace Catalyst International. Mm. And Peace Catalyst uh, is focused on. So we're the we're the direct program directors uh, for El Paso, Texas. We just moved back to El Paso um, a few months ago, like six months ago. And so we're going to be uh, working here in El Paso, Texas, to um, to help bring Christians and Muslims together. Uh, not to debate, not to argue, not to figure out which of us is right, and which of us is wrong. And it's not. It's more about developing uh, connections, friendships, relate, building relationships uh, with Muslims and Christians. And really focusing on what we have in common with Muslim, what Christians have in common with Muslims, which sure. surprisingly is Jesus. And uh, most Christians have no idea that yeah. Muslims love Jesus, revere Jesus, honor Jesus. I believe yeah. a lot of this i mean not everything certainly there are things we disagree about but uh, the common ground we have with muslims is jesus and it's a beautiful place to begin a conversation yeah. and a relationship so anyway that's that's where we're excited to start doing um through peace catalyst uh yeah. that's so i'm adding another thing that's <laughs> to awesome. the many many do other things lot, do you have really a lot of
0: muslims in your area then because uh, that's not something i uh, immediately associate with texas
1: no you know? it's uh, not but I, I there are a
0: few times here and there but yeah, and, yeah, there is
1: a community, you know, there is a community here. Um, there, there's one large mosque, there's only one mosque in El Paso, but it's so it's one huge one and it kind of serves all the Muslims in the community,
2: sure.
1: Um, there's probably a few thousand, I don't know the, wow. the okay. complete number, but I've gotten to know, um, there's a, there's a Muslim community here called Raindrop Turkish House, and um, it basically it's, the beautiful thing is this guy Bilal who runs it, um, he's he's the Muslim side of what I'm doing sure. and they've already been doing this for a couple of years. So what they, they've already been doing this. And I just met him and was, we had, a, we sat down and had a meal together and I told him, you know, what Peace Catalyst does. And he's like, Oh, yeah, that's what we do from the Muslim side. We, we do events. We invite Christians to find out, learn more about us and our culture and our faith. We listen to them. We give them a place to speak and share as well. And we build connections and relationships here in El Paso that's to bring awesome. Muslims and Christians together. And I'm like, well, this is great. Why don't we work together? Yeah. So there is a Muslim community here. It's not huge, mm. um, but uh, they they are here. And you know, El Paso is also again when I when I talked about how my upbringing was this very conservative, uh, you know, Republican, Rush Limbaugh, NRA. It was here. It was in El Paso. Mm. So there's still in El Paso. A very strong, very kind of Christian and and typically anti-Muslim. Sort sure. of mindset within Christianity here in El Paso, that I am excited to help bring some of my Christian friends along. I hope Sure. Uh, to shift their thinking about who Muslims are and who they aren't. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of work to be done. In that so because
0: Texas is is um, from what my understanding, Texas is is still very conservative, obviously, but generally speaking, once you hit the kind of the, the sort of bigger cities, it does shift towards being a bit more open, a bit more progressive. Uh, lots of terms that people can label good, bad, whatever, and different. I'm not going <laughs> to use the words red, blue, conservative, yeah. liberal, all these kind of lines, because immediately we we associate all sorts of things. But, but in my understanding, um, culture broadly outside of Christianity um, is probably shifting to be a little bit more inclusive of Islam, uh, Muslims, people of different faith, people of different sexual orientations, etc., etc., etc. Would would you say that? Um, Christians in the area are also experiencing some of that shift in some of the more kind of like slightly bigger cities. I mean, El Paso is not probably the biggest city in the world, but um, I I assume it's probably in that category of of being a decent enough kind of populace that it's kind of shifting somewhat from what you grew up in. Would that
1: be fair? Um, Yes and no. I think um, I can't speak to other large cities in Texas like Dallas Mm. or Houston or Austin. Austin may be a little more Maybe Austin progress. is more
0: obviously kind of like, and of course,
1: it, it's a college town, and it's much more younger demographic, and they're much more open minded, and they very very strong. Uh, you know, mm. the music and all the scene there is very probably a little more open. El, El pa- Wait, here's what El Paso has going for um, El Paso is a is a very it's, it's it's a large city. It's a it's probably one of the largest top five cities in in Texas. Um, so it's a pretty large city. It's a but it's a border town, unlike Dallas or right. Austin or even you know, Houston, we are right on the, like I can, when you're going down the freeway, you can, if you look to the left uh, it's, it's Mexico. And if you look yep. to the right, it's Texas. So you're right on the border of Mexico. Um, it's so it's an international city and um, it's very, it's open. It's open in that sense. I'd say culturally it, it is largely open-minded. like, there's not mm-hmm. a lot, not that there's none but there's not a lot of sort of anti-Mexican or anti, uh, not a lot, a lot of like white supremacist sort of thing, a lot of sure. racism and prejudice. So you don't see a lot of that. It's a very blended city, at least as far as Mexican and, and American. Uh, it's, it's very well blended. Um, and again, I I grew up here, and so I didn't really experience growing up here a lot of, uh, not as much as I've seen in other places. So that's good. Sure. But the one of the downsides, one of the challenges I feel like in El Paso is, Um again, I I lived here, I grew up here from junior high through college, left. I've I've been gone for 26 years, just came back uh, six months ago. And coming back, what I've noticed is having having left and come back, well, here's what I notice. It's trapped in amber. The status quo of what it used to be when I graduated college and today is exactly the same. Mm. So people here and friends of mine that I that I know here who didn't move away, who stayed here and Sure. Had families here and I reconnected with them. They're the same. Same like, person. I have radically yeah. changed. <laughs> I radically changed a lot of my faith, my views, my theology, yeah. my politics, everything. And they are the same. They're exactly the same. And so I'm just like, wow, mm. there's a really strong status quo thing here. We're like, sure. it isn't broken. Why fix it? We don't need outside ideas. We don't need these new things. Um, sure. So there's a little bit of a, uh, they're not as open. They're not as, uh, as I would want. They're not curious even. Like when I bring up ideas that are different, people don't lean in and go, ooh, that's interesting. Tell me more. It's no. just sort of like, yeah, I guess that's another way to be. But, but not of like, I'm interested. So no, there yeah. is a challenge. There's, it's going to be a challenge, that's I think, for some people that kind of, you know, it may take some time for them to warm up to some of these sure. things.
0: Yeah. Are you familiar with um, spiral dynamics or any of these kind of models of human oh, yeah. development? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it, it sounds very much like a, generally speaking, blue town on the whole. <laughs> um, so, uh, but that doesn't surprise me. I think that most of, uh, certainly America and, and, and a good portion of, you know, the world is going to be sitting at blue. as it's very normal, especially religious places. So the more yes. you're in, trenched in those kind of religious models because that's what thrives isn't it the 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 stage of human development that values certainty safety security is always going to go well that's helpful we've got a bible that tells us what we should believe and think and do and we've got a time period in history that we can point to and go things were better then and that's what we should value and don't you dare take anything moving Mm -hmm. me any further away from it yeah so that does sound like a a huge dynamic that you're going to have to play with uh yeah people dealing with the well this is this is how I understand the world, and I don't know how much I want to go to a mosque and learn about Muslims. No,
1: right, know. and so yeah, and so the um, the other thing I've noticed um, this is maybe just particularly uniquely my struggle, my challenge mm.
2: um,
1: is that you know there is a there is a very strong Christian, mostly Southern Baptist kind of uh, you know, lots of churches here, a lot of Christ, a lot of people here are Christian. It's mo- like I said, it's mostly Baptist, a little charismatic, but but probably mostly uh, Baptist. Or Catholic, right? Mm. So on the religious side, that's kind of the bulk of the makeup. Um, but then there's a there's a university here. UT El Paso is here, and it's a big, huge part of the of the you know the makeup of the city. Sure. But that's a very intellectual and very anti-religious organization. So right. you have sort of these two big thought sort of power structures, right? The religion part, which is sort of in clashing like oil and vinegar. Oil the water, right? With um, yeah. Uh, with the, the the college side, and what I what I've noticed is, like, I kind of foolishly came into this thinking, well, this is my hometown. I grew up here. I went to college there. I have friends that are in churches here. They're just going to welcome me back, you know, like Keith's back, everybody. And look, he's published books, and he's he's on. He's got a podcast. And wow, hey, mm-hmm. Keith, tell us more. No, the the Christian the Christian uh, crowd. I'm too heretical for them. I'm too progressive mm. and weird for yeah. them.
0: You went and, to California, man. You went, you yeah. went off oh. to those hippies and came back yes. all changed.
1: Yes. And and the intellectual crowd, like I went to that school. Mm. I graduated with a degree in English and poetry and philosophy. And I know some of these professors. I still don't connect with them. And and they don't want to talk to me because, oh, you're a Christian. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm too Christian for this group, for the intellectual side, yeah. because, because I'm a Christian. And then I'm too sort of progressive for the christian side it's like i have to find a way to break in like it's um yeah it's 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 challenging yeah yeah
0: well that seems like it's a common struggle i don't know one of the things that i found i think that one of the main Spurs that pushed me in my process of journeying and learning and, and growing spiritually. I think I naturally have always asked questions and wanted to grow and change and develop. And I get excited by being wrong. And in a sense, I'm yeah. like, oh, a new idea that could be right. I like that. I'll, I'll check too. it out. Maybe I'm wrong. This is exciting. Most people yeah. like existential crisis, you know, yeah. like months of like ripping their robes <laughs> and sprinkling dust on their head. But me, I'm like, ooh, exciting. Uh, yes. But uh, it, with that said, I think uh, a bigger catalyst for me was. When my, my ministry, my platform online grew much bigger than my platform in, in person of, of traveling and speaking with people, when it got bigger online, people who have no way to engage with others in person tend to find something online to gravitate to. It's, it's, it's oh, you're just much more likely to find someone like you, right? I mean, if you go into a small town of you know, 2,000 people, the odds of finding someone just like you go down really quickly if you can't go, oh, I'm a Baptist, oh, I'm a charismatic, oh, I'm an atheist, oh, I'm a whatever. You go and type it into Google and you're like, oh, there's a Facebook group for that. And there's, you know, look at this group over here and all oh, this guy on Instagram or, you know, whatever. Um, so it, it just opens up the possibilities. And what happened is more and more I found there's, there's thousands, millions of people that fall into this category of going, I'm not Christian. As you suppose, I, you can call me Christian, and maybe I identify Christian, and that's complex for me to figure out. Never mind for you to label, uh, but sure. But I'm, no, I'm not that, and I'm not atheist. I'm definitely open to uh, spirituality, and I'm very spiritual, and I follow the path of Jesus. And you know, there's a whole window and a spectrum of this world in between that isn't "quote unquote" Christian. And it is certainly not atheist. It might be a bit agnostic. Uh, I think Mm. we're all agnostic if we're going to be honest. So it's this kind of window in the middle. And there's this um, element where they don't know where to go. They don't have a home. They don't have a landing place. Um, Because even somewhere like even something like a house church, that's kind of a, unless you're, you find it through kind of a movement of house churches, unless your friend goes to a house church, unless, you know, it's really hard to find someone else that's going through this journey. Um, yep. I don't know if you, you found that, and I but how do, so how do you approach that? You go into this new town, you know, you go back, and it's, it's not even a new town, right? It's just a town which you haven't been in a while and you realize, oh my god, no one's gone on this journey with me and right. I'm completely alone in a sense. I, I'm sure Great. you're not, uh, especially in a city that big. I'm, I, I can guarantee there's tens of thousands of people that probably think quite similarly. Um, but how do, you, how do you navigate that? How, how have you personally gone, how am I going to get something that I consider to be a healthy community, especially after coming out of something where you've built this kind of thriving community that meets in your home every week and you get together and you do meals together and you share with each other, you cry with each other, you laugh with each other. To, to kind of step out of that feels like that would be quite a hard process uh yeah. just looking externally at it maybe maybe you thrive on that maybe you're the world's largest introvert I don't know <laughs> um but it sounds quite complex uh, going through that yeah. and I know that a lot of people listening in are maybe they've not moved maybe they've just been ostracized by their community because they've changed enough that they're going through something similar and they live in the same town um or maybe they, they're they're moved and they've just gone actually I can't find something that works for me or community like how are you processing that in coming in six months ago Uh, yeah
1: well definitely i mean in some ways i feel like i've been spoiled because the the group that the the group that we had the 11 years experience that was the greatest thing in the world uh, Mm. was relatively wasn't difficult to find people once we started going people found us you know kind of a thing um we did spend a year in idaho before we moved to el paso and um again was a brand new place we didn't know anybody and and pretty quickly we found two other couples to join us. And it was almost instantly amazing. Wow. Uh, I, mean, I couldn't believe how quickly it came together and everybody got it. And we were on the same page and we were just like 100 miles an hour down the road. Woo, this wow. is great. So yeah, then we moved to El Paso. And then like I've already said, we encountered, ooh, this is very different. And exactly what you're saying is sort of like, I gotta believe, I have to believe we're not the only people who feel this way. We're not the only people in El Paso who desire something different that isn't what's on every street corner, right? Who are hungry for something like this. Um, but how do you find them, right? And how do you even communicate it? And I, and so, um, I mean, I have some ideas in general because uh, I've, I've, I've tried to coach people over the years who are in similar places like this and other parts of the country. Like, well, you know, you can, you can go to meetup.com and start a meetup. Look, first of all, look and see if there already is a group, a meetup group that's close to kind of what you're, Describing them, then find them, or if not, then you start a meetup group and you kind of describe what it is and see who shows up. And we've done that, and a couple of people have found us through things like that.
2: That's awesome.
1: Um, start a little local, you know, start a blog and put them some keywords like El Paso house church, organic, whatever, New Testament, whatever. And people Google, and then up up pops your little Blogspot blog with some information about mm. your group, and they've and, and that that actually worked for us in Orange County. Um, so there's some things you can do. I think a lot of it though is probably mostly it's who, you know, it's word of mouth. It's meeting people, having conversations. So it's a little slower, takes a mm. little bit longer um, to meet someone or who at least even would say, I'm not interested, but you know, my sister-in-law who really would be, or my, yeah. or my you know, the guy, the guy that works with me, he's, he's talked a lot about something like that. Maybe I should connect you with them. Mm. So um, I, one of the, one of my sort of, um, gifts i guess that i identified over a few years ago is sort of connecting um and so it's one of these things where god has already kind of gifted me in a way like uh i think i just naturally do connect with other people like this um but even so we we've we've recognized that um that here in el paso we haven't started anything yet so Mm. just so you just kind of let everybody know where we're at in the process we've only been here about six months we haven't actually started a group yet because um, we're still in the phase of trying to connect with, find people who might even be interested in it. Yeah. But what we've, but what Wendy and I have uh, recognized is that when we do initially start a group, that we probably will not call it house church. Sure. Because church creates a model. and mo- We just can see people in El Paso, you say church being a picture pops yep. in their head oh, and we go, nope nope, that's not it. That's not what we're talking about. So nope, yeah. don't call it church. And even house church being an idea pops in their head. And I'm like, no, nope, it's not that either. Yeah. So what we think we would, we would do when we start something is we would actually invite people to like a worship night because what we, because what we want to invite them to the things we, that we would end up doing, like, okay, people will show up. We'll just worship God. We'll sing. Maybe we'll spend sit in silence for some time. Like we'll spend like twenty minutes in silence, just mm. waiting in the Lord's presence, listening for the Holy Spirit. And then after that, we would ask people, "Hey, did did you feel like God spoke to you? Did He show you something?" And and did you feel comfortable? Would you want to share that with the rest of us? Okay, great. Um, then after we did that for a little bit, you know, maybe um, does anyone need prayer for anything? Can we pray for you? Okay, great. And we mm. let me pray for some people. And then when we got finished, we'd be like, you know what? Um, we had a potluck everybody brought some snacks let's go eat and we'd sit down and eat and talk well that what I just described to you is what I would call house church sure but I wouldn't but if I say house church in El Paso they don't picture any of that
0: looking at that yeah
1: No, so it's just sort of like recognizing well we need to we need to describe this and invite people to something Different. different and then once they get here we will encourage them to practice certain things and to do certain things. Sure. And after we've done that for a while, we can say, hey, by the way, you know, to us, this kind of is church. This is what church is. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. it's interesting. <laughs> we wait for them say, to recognize it, right? When we wait for them to go, yeah, oh, to let you know, them label it. Yeah. I think let that, them that go, for me is
0: letting other people yeah. label things. So if you want it to be a church, you go make it church. So people go, yes. whoa, this is church. um rather than going hey i'm a church look at me i'm doing church and then people come to you and go "Uh, church Uh, because everyone's got an idea of what that is right um so this is something that fascinates me because um i'm really intrigued i I started um uh, a website called the deconstruction network because i had so many people coming to me going hey phil like do you know anyone in el paso i'm all alone i don't know anyone or hey phil i'm over in like you know chilly and i don't know anyone else going through this process of like deconstructing their faith of like you know radically redefining what god's church life everything looks like i don't know anyone else that can go on the journey with me i go into a church they hate me uh i, I want i talk i don't know, I talk to atheists about my spirituality because they don't care about spirituality and and so i'm, I'm and I, where do i go if i know if i was a baptist and i became charismatic i'd go to a charismatic church so it's easy that losing one community because i can go to the next one i know if i was you know, Episcopalian, and I was like, eh, I want to try the Lutherans. I go to the Lutheran church. I mean, it's nice and simple. But where do you go when you go, I don't want to do church, as, as any of these people are labeling right. church. And, 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 and so my, my heart was, because uh, I, I know a few people here and there, but I can't remember all the people I meet. So I'm like, I'm yeah. sure I've talked to someone in Houston before, but I can't remember who. So yes, there's people in Houston. Good luck. <laughs> you know, that's kind of where I was <laughs> left with. So I started this website and and basically the whole thing was just you sign up, you put your name and your address, uh, not like, you know, your post, your specific address, but just like the city you're in, you hit go and it puts you on a map and then people can message you. And so you could type in Houston, 50 mile radius and it would put up all the dots and then people could message and get to know. And it's been great because people are connecting. But even what I found in that, and this is a fascinating, I'm wondering, I'm really interested to pick your brains on this, in that you have this concept. So I label it deconstruction because it's such a common buzzword and it kind of captures a lot of people. The problem with that is it captures a lot of people. Right. And so what you just described as house church, uh I uh, maybe enjoy it. Maybe. I don't know. You know, I come with the opportunity to bless people. So I get in your mindset and go, oh, I could do that and I would probably enjoy it. But ah uh, God, I hate worship, man. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I just yeah. don't like music I, so i don't actually listen to like secular music never mind christian music so yeah. i'm just like it just doesn't click with me it's not how i click with the with the divine and that. Like, so i'm yeah. like anything where it's like oh so the first thing we do is we sit and we, we sing songs and i'm like God, kill me now. Uh, you know, so, so, but my point is, I'm sure there's plenty of people that are in that category. And then there's people that go, sure. oh, well, I'm actually, I don't even know what I believe in prayer anymore. So I'm really trying to process what that is. And, and then you've got people going, well, yeah, no, I, I, I'm I, okay with those two, but I'm not really sure what I think about, uh, you know, whatever, you know, you're picking and choosing. And the problem is you've got such a broad range of people going through a process of redefining what Christianity is for them, church, God, all these different things. I think the big question is how do you create models, Uh, you know, you're describing the house church at the beginning of going, like, I don't have an answer. Let's talk together and figure stuff out together. Um, I think a lot of people want that. The problem is so much of the, the packaging we put it in is quite prescriptive. It is going, okay, we don't have an answer to everything. But we do pray, and when we pray, we kind of like we all like put our hands together, close our eyes, or we <laughs> or we or we, we at least speak to a a personal God who's called Abba or Father or whatever or or you know and 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 little by little with each thing we introduce, oh well, we we do sing these three songs at the beginning, you know that's just what we we all kind of and it's like we all I'm already starting to feel oh, maybe this isn't for me either. Right. How how do you go about? Um, And and part of me is like, eh, just do you. And then people that are the same will kind of gravitate you in. Otherwise, someone's going to go start something else. Maybe that is a part of it. Um, But I think in a process that is so lonely, I think people are are wanting to create something that's broad enough, open enough, that can incorporate anyone they can find almost. Do do you know what I mean? Um, It's maybe okay for someone that's really great at connecting like you. But when you're not so great at it, How do you think people can go about starting to create some of these communities that are a little bit broader, a little bit more open? You know, you're talking about like, you know, getting together with Muslims, you know, (laughs) talking about, you know, it's one thing I'm going, well, I don't like Christian songs that are a bit like me, 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 me. Well, I don't like the Christian songs that are like, Jesus, you're my boyfriend. Like That's a, a little subset in this like huge world of Christianity. Over there, you know, three miles that way is is Islam, you know? Right. Um, and even that is, is quite similar, you know? We're pretty big on the guy Jesus, you know? So, I mean, even yes. that is similar. So, um, how do you think you go about creating these environments? I'm sure you're thinking about this as you're thinking about how to communicate, how to bring Christians and, and, and Muslims together. Um, do you have thoughts on, on what it looks like to create environments that are um, safe places for people that are quite radically different in their approach to spirituality.
1: Right. Well, great question, Phil. Um, well, on the one level, again, as I said, I, I'm very against this idea of being programmatic and blah, blah. blah. So like, uh, like I, would never, I would never sit back and go, how can I create a group to serve the needs of a certain group of people who want X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to create, to me that feels like I'm branding and I'm creating something. And it's not naturally like, it's not something I personally feel called to. Right. So, so the thing, you know, the thing I described to you about let's have a worship night and pray. Well, that's the kind of group Wendy and I would create because that's, that's what we feel called to this kind of our experience. And we're looking to connect with other people who also are looking for that. Now I agree with you. Uh, there are people that would come and be like, Yeah, not really into that. Well, okay, well, then either if there's enough of that, enough people going, Yeah, I don't really want what you're talking about. I kind of need something else. Well, then knowing who I am, then I might be like, Well, if, if there's still a connection there, like, well, okay, well, we're doing our thing on Thursday nights. Why don't you, we could do something maybe on Tuesdays or Saturdays, maybe or whatever, like we'll mm-hmm. pick a time and Maybe we'll just try a group that's a little more discussion based, <clears throat> a little more open ended. Uh, you know what I mean? So it wouldn't be one or the other. It might be well. Maybe we need to create another group
2: sure. to
1: to uh, kind of help people in this other direction, right? And I'd be open to that, um, but I wouldn't do that in in lieu of, not, of doing the At other
0: thing. At the expense things. of what you're passionate Right. So there's
1: so there's, there's part of part of it just being true to who I feel I am and what I feel like I'm called to do, and I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. But then at the same time, yeah, then there may be, you may recognize that there are needs uh, that could be met through another group. And then, like you said, maybe what I would say to someone like that is, um, well, I can help you get one started. Why don't Mm. you start a group like that? Because it seems like, because maybe you are more naturally going to uh, attract people who are like you, who think this way, need these other things. And maybe I don't as much, I mean, I can appreciate it and I could even help you with it. But it's it's not really me. It this yeah. is you, and so I can help you get something going, uh, and then you know what I mean that you create that yeah. kind of group because that's more of where you're at. Um, so I guess that's that's kind of I think that's answering your question. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's just a fascinating. Yeah,
0: I noticed. Um, I had a a young lady message me the other day, and she's like, I joined the, that website. It's a very new website. So it's about a thousand people. So you spread that across the world. It's pretty thin on the ground in most yeah. of the world um you go jump in chile or something and there's like two people and they're like you know right. 300 miles apart so
2: right. it was it was a bit tough, but they were
0: excited <laughs> to meet um, so there you go um but she was like i'm in la i've looked at your, your and you've got like 40 people there and i've messaged every single one um and she's like oh, i kind of like connected with that. out of the 40 maybe like but two were kind of in similar places and i met up with them and okay we probably will keep meeting but i don't see this being something that we're going to passionately get together every week and we're going to gather more people around us to kind of explore spirituality And, and i'm like this is a fascinating dynamic where it feels like people are on this journey where the more open they become uh they're still seeking what church gave them which was this person that kind of like is exactly on the same wavelength exactly. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if that's something that's inherently in us no. psychologically as humans, or if yes. that's a, a hold off, holdover from coming out of Christianity where we, we, we like having that kind of community that's based around agreeing and, and being similar. And, um, do you know what I mean? Because part of me is like, yes. uh, my community is very different and very varied. Um, a lot of us do agree on a lot of things, but we're pretty yeah. varied.
1: Yeah. So dude, thank you for saying this. Cause I, this is, this is a key thing. Um, and there's maybe different layers to what we're, just, what we're talking about right now. Yeah. But I think it's definitely worth talking about. So um, <clears throat> if we're talking about um, you, you'd mentioned agreement, right? Or looking for someone just like me. So um, yeah, I think that's a mistake. I, I think that's a holdover from what, what, what we are. How do I phrase this? Um, I think one of the things we need to deconstruct is the idea that we're right. Mm. Um, so what, it, what I've noticed what's happening, what, what, what ends up happening, um, someone, like you're, you're in this very traditional Christian system, you start deconstructing, I don't know about the Bible and hell and God being a wrathful God and blah, blah, blah. blah. So you start questioning and doubting and you're, uh, you're, your views shift and change. You reject that. I don't believe that anymore. Now I believe this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you can become a fundamentalist about this. Absolutely. And now you need to prove to everybody that you're right about this, and they're wrong about this. And yeah, well, now you now you're you were kind of a jerk over here <laughs> mm-hmm. about being right, and now you're a jerk over here about being right. Yeah. And I think be, we have to stop. Um, we have to stop thinking of our faith as being right, yeah. um, and we have to also then rethink the idea that of connection and community as being built around a gathering of people that all think the same way yeah i don't know about you see this is the thing about our house church uh, uh, experience that we had we had no statement of faith we had no Mm. statement of faith the 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 bar for our group was simply do you love jesus are you interested in spending like five hours at a time with a bunch of other people who also just love jesus and want to talk about jesus for like four or five hours and help each other learn how to follow jesus and know jesus better in their actual life and if that sounds like fun to you Mm. you're in and i don't care what you think about pre or mid or post or dunking or sprinkling or speaking in tongues or not or i don't care about any of that you can keep those ideas to yourself and you can have them and they're fine but we're not going to spend any time arguing that debating that discussing that we will be a group of christians believers in jesus who have a variety of ideas about many different things, but we're not going to spend any time focused on that because what we're focused on is Jesus. And if Mm -hmm. Jesus is our focus, then that's where we have unity. Like I think that's, um, Paul says in Galatians, we are are all one in Christ. We're not one in our opinions. We're not one in our doctrines because on those things, we are all over the map. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we're even growing and changing some of our ideas over time. We used to say we're all in process. So there's things I believe now I didn't believe five years ago. And hopefully there's things I believe uh, five years from now that, you know, I'm going to shift my ideas. But that means I'm going to when I come into contact with another person and they happen to believe something I don't believe anymore. But I used to. In fact, I believed it for the same reasons that they do. I don't say you idiot. Why? Because, I mean, I used to think the the same way. Right. I'm not I, an one idiot? Idiot. Yeah. I was an idiot then. I'm not an idiot now. So I have grace for them. I go, okay, you can believe that. I mean, it's okay. Uh, as long as you're not trying to you know, push it on me, I'm not going to push my ideas on you either. So I, say, I, think, I think this is one very important thing as we're deconstructing and moving in this direction, we have to develop the skill of learning how to be in the same room, with people who, are, who believe slightly different than we do on other things yep. and to love them, listen to them, appreciate them, um, not attack them, not, tr- not try to prove them wrong and, or myself. Right. Mm. Um, that's hard to do, but I think that's a skill we definitely need to learn how to do. Uh, yeah. and that's one of the things that I, we, we were talking before we hit, we, we started the show here, um, about this course I'm doing square one. And that's one of the main things that we talk about near the beginning of the course is that this whole thing I just said that we have to we have to rethink what it means to be connected to have community. Can we learn to be in a room with people who think differently than us and not reject them and not and not be rejected by them? Yeah, um, then that's hard to do. But I think if we can learn to do that, then as I'm seeking to connect with other people, I don't necessarily need to connect with somebody who has deconstructed the same five things I have. Um, I just need to meet somebody who's willing to sit in a room with somebody else and listen. Yeah, and, and talk
0: Tell not- me a bit about this this course, because uh, I, I think this is a really fascinating um, project that you've undertaken, and I think it, it, it there's a lot in it that could really help a lot of people. Um, I'm also aware of the time, how much time have you got? Are you good? Uh-
1: uh, this is my job, so I, I know this is how I
0: feel when I'm on. Yes. I'm like, uh, are you kidding? Like, my <laughs> wife finishes work in like two hours, I guess. Right. <laughs> um,
1: uh,
0: okay, great. So, yeah, talk a bit about this because I think uh, you know, just from the little I've heard of it, and I've actually had people message me telling me they're taking your course and, and they love it. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is a really interesting. Dynamic. So, give me an overview, uh, just a, a broad overview uh, for for those that have no idea whatsoever what it is. What is it, and who's it aimed at?
1: Right. So yeah, um, back in, even before we moved to El Paso, so like about six months ago, um, I just really felt like I needed to, like, so everything I've personally done, my blog, my podcast, my books, uh, it's all about me processing my deconstruction, right? Mm. And And I'm part of several Facebook groups that are also focused on deconstruction. And so, but what I started noticing was like, Everything I'm focused on is on deconstruction. Everything else I see out there in the landscape is also focused on deconstruction. What I yeah. don't see is anything focused on reconstruction. Yeah. So helping people go through it, because I mean, deconstruction is very painful. It's a hard ma- emotion. You lose friends, family, fellowship. You get rejected. There's pain. There's struggle. There's uncertainty. What do I believe? What do I not believe? What's real? I don't know. You know you're all alone. You're abandoned. You, so all these horrible things are happening to you in deconstruction. Mm. So there was nothing really addressing that directly. And then there was nothing that I could find that said once I've gone through the bulk of my deconstruction, how do I reconstruct something like a faith life that's positive and joyful and life giving mm-hmm. and feeds my soul and you know what I mean, moves, moves me on forward in this other direction. So because of that, um, I started this thing called Square One, or you know, back to Square One was sort of the, the idea of it. Um, but I, I started this online course, it's called Square One. It's like a 12 week, uh, 90 day course. Um, and I just, we have like, typically it's like 12 to 15 students who come on at a time. And we have, a, so we have a group of people who go through this together. Uh, I pre recorded a series of lectures that they, every week they will watch the whatever that week's lesson is. I'll give them some homework I want them to work on during the week. And at the end of the week, we have a live video, like a Zoom conference call for an hour, where I just kind of ask them, like, you know, what do you think about what we talked about? Did you do the homework? How was that? And then they talk to each other about their experiences. They get to know each other and what they're struggling with, where they're at in this curve or this process. Um, And and at the end of it, the purpose is to walk us through the deconstruction process, find some um, foundation for learning how to build a reconstruction process. And I I try to give them some tools uh, for what that reconstruction could look like. Mm. So it's that that's going to nutshell kind of what it's been. We're on our third round right now. So I've got the third round, third group of people going through it at this moment. Uh, And so far. The feedback's been awesome. Uh, I've really seen some people have some major breakthroughs. Mm. Uh, it's been great. So uh, yeah. I'm excited to be able to do so it. So
0: talk to me about this, because I think this is fascinating, because I, I think what we've been talking about um, just in the, the the little window that we had before opening up this, this particular uh, look at your course has been very much transcending dualism, transcending this uh, very black and white thinking, very reactionary, demonizing prior stages in our life without integrating them. You know, that's, and, and I think this is a, it's a very natural part of deconstruction. I think you you come out of uh, if you're looking at something like spiral dynamics, you come out of stage blue, you go into stage orange, where you're thinking for yourself, you're you know you're being much more rational and logical, and and you do you re- you you kind of despise the prior stage. It's quite natural to look at the stage you've come out of and go ah. Oh, that's just a, what a waste of time and these people yes. are deceiving look how evil this pastor is you know
2: I'm probably not evil at all <laughs> yes. but
0: you know but you just you can't help but um and then as you grow and you develop you then move into the next stage and you think oh what idiots at this rational and logical stage. they just over rationalize everything they're reductionists and, right and so we just keep doing it unless we go yeah. you know yeah. um and at stage blue we're doing it about stage red right they're going oh look at these idiots they're just like bashing each other on the heads with clubs and they've no order and no structure and so it's, we're consistently doing this, um, it's kind of like this back and forth with the pendulum swings and all sorts of stuff, um, but it's very it's very dualistic, it's very black and white, it's very my way that I'm in right now is absolutely right, the stage in front of me is evil, is terrible, is rotten, and actually I'm only holding myself back from growth because of that, um, nice. and the stage behind me is terrible and evil and rotten, and I'm only actually stopping myself being able to integrate the great stuff that i've grown uh, to have in that prior stage i'm actually not actually incorporating a lot of that in my life and and, and benefiting from it because of it but generally speaking it, it breaks your ability to talk with other people it breaks your ability to have that communication it's a bit like what we're talking about you know so you, you find that that's an early stage in deconstruction in my uh in my yeah. layman's terms of like looking at this i'm like oh this you're in fairly early stage deconstruction if you're still running around going fuck church, I hate those guys or you know, whatever, right? You know, right, that's, right, that's right. fairly early. Now I'm not saying that you haven't had horrific um, experiences. I mean the trauma and the abuses and the things that you know I'm sure you've come across this in your interactions with people as well. Like horrific stuff. No, I am not saying that the pastor that literally uh sexually abused you is a good guy and you know he's got great motives and you know he may well think he has, but I, I'm not I think we can all look at that and go, no, this is terrible and awful and, and not a good thing. I'm and so I'm not saying that every experience is, is you know we should paint it with a nice like golden lens and go, oh look, isn't it wonderful? And um, i am saying there's a lot of damaging things about every stage but it's also damaging stuff about the stage we're in right now that yes. we're as we grow and um, so I think um, that's a natural dynamic it's a natural part um as you, Look at reconstruction. This is what I kind of see as stepping into kind of late stage green, early stage yellow, probably, which very few people are at in society. It's very rare that people start to transcend their dualisms. So they start to transcend this kind of um, approach. It's a very late stage psychologically, um, you know. So human psychologist, uh, human uh, psychological developmentologists, or how would you say it? Yeah. Human development psychologists. My brain. Um, they would say they estimate between probably 05 to 2% of the planet are at stage yellow. <laughs> so yeah. very, very small window of people. Now, more of them are here in the West than they are in uh, uh, other parts of the world that are less developed in those areas. However, um, it still feels very unlikely that the, you grab 15 people, they're all going to be at that stage, right? Yep. I, I, yep. If, if we're going to be honest, a lot of them are still going to be very much demonizing the other they're going to be very much uh hating where they've come from they're also going to be looking at where they probably need to go and thinking well that's just yeah that's just relativity and you know you don't actually you don't believe anything and all these different elements at play how do you begin to you know like because this is this is uh, from a psychological uh you know psychologist don't have a model for, oh, we sit down and we just make someone move into this stage. But it feels like a lot of what needs to happen in reconstruction is allowing that person to kind of naturally move into that stage. Is, is that something you're aware of as you're building this course? And you're talking about, I'm going to try and help people kind of move in that direction. From my perspective, looking on, I'm like, oh, this is the journey that people need to go on. And this is the journey that when I'm helping people online, this is kind of the I'm thinking it's not going to lay it out for everyone every time, but like, I'm thinking, okay, where are you roughly? What's some healthy steps? What do you need to integrate in your past? What do you need to, what can we healthily demonize? And what can we integrate and go, actually that was probably quite healthy and good. Are, are you thinking about this as a, as a journey? Are you thinking about how do I help people? Give us some tips. So for people, yeah. you've got, you're <laughs> going to take, take 12, 15 people. You know, it's probably a, at least a, a few hundred people listening to this that are going, ah, well, I'm probably not going to make the cut, right? <laughs> so right. <laughs> what, what, what are some things if, if people are, are, are looking at this going, well, I probably need to start this journey of reconstruction. I need to start moving in that direction. Yeah. Um, what, what what are some of the beginning stages of, of, of working through that and moving towards that. Sorry, that was very rambly, but I feel like no, I need to paint a broad picture uh, of kind of where I'm coming from personally before yeah. um, allowing you to speak into
1: that, I guess. Well, Phil, what's beautiful about everything you just said is that you, thank you, because you just validated my entire course because everything you just said, We, you and I have not talked about this before at all. No, I mean, brand new at all. happening in real time. And everything you just said is like, that's exactly what I've based my entire course on is wow, those exact awesome. observations. So Man, it they like smart oh, good. guys
0: here, right? I mean like,
1: <laughs> I'm I not the only outside. one. I'm not the only one who, who notices those exact things you just said. So yep. you're okay. So exactly right. Wonderful. That's exactly right. So I made little notes here. Um yeah, so like one of the things, and I guess it's because I've gone through it myself over the last 15 years, right? And I kind of just took a step back and said, okay, well, what, what were some of the stages I went through? What helped me through some of these stages? What are some of the pitfalls that I noticed where I kind of got stuck? And um, uh, and what broke me out of that? So one of the things, you, the first thing you talked about is like, uh, you're exactly right. When you meet somebody who's deconstructing, and I call it detox, right? Um, I see it a lot, by the way, and I started, I noticed this a lot in the house church movement. I was going to so say, I,
0: I was like, when I think of house churches, and when I started to travel to house churches, I was like, oh God, this is just a get together and bitch about your prior church yes. experience. Like that's yes. what this is. Sorry. Yes,
1: so <laughs> exactly that. So, well, we experienced it in our house church, right? People would find me online or they'd find our house church somehow. Like, oh, I want to come to your house church. Okay. And I got to where I would vet people first. Like, let's have coffee. I want to mm. know. I mean, and usually it is like, they've just realized something and, and about church and hierarchy and the Bible never says this, and blah, blah, blah. And then they just kind of go off and off. And they're like, kind of in that rage Detox mood, sure. And and look, I get it. You need to go. So it's really Get it though. out, right? Yeah. You got to talk about how stupid I was. I can't believe I fell for this, and how stupid those people are, and I can't believe they're continuing to perpetuate this. And I've tried to talk to the pastor, but he won't listen to me. And he blah blah blah. blah right? You're demonizing Okay, so I get it. You got to do that. And I usually would give people time. Okay, get it off your chest. But then very quickly, you have to help them. Get out of that. You have to detox from your detox. You have to stop yeah. doing that because what I what I noticed was, in the house church context, um, people would just every Sunday. That's all they wanted to do. That's all they wanted to talk about. Anytime time we came up, they were like they were going to share something. That's what they would share. Oh, I can't believe these stupid people are doing blah 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 blah. And I'd be like, okay, but here's what's what here's what's interesting. You just wasted twenty minutes of our time talking about how they over there are doing it wrong when we could have been spending those 20 minutes doing it right. Like we have created this beautiful opportunity for us to practice these new things that we've discovered are possible. And instead of taking our time and energy, experiencing these beautiful things that are now possible, we're still stuck complaining about those people over there. And this like, so you have to break out of that, but how, right. Mm. Um, And as you said, deconstructing, is a a good thing. You do need to go through that process, right? Um, And um, so a big thing that we address in the course is first of all, just to call that out and to to recognize that um, there's a certain grid that your brain has to be in to look at your faith practices, to look at your theologies or whatever you've been through with a very critical lens, right? You can't deconstruct if you don't. You have to have this critical lens and what you're noticing is that's wrong. That doesn't make sense. This isn't, this doesn't fit. And, and if you don't do that, you can't deconstruct. So you you automatically are, that is your way your brain is wired. Mm. And everything you're looking at is through this lens of what's wrong with it and how is it broken and how doesn't it work? So you got to do that stage one. You've got to do that. But at some point you have to learn how to rewire your brain to stop only seeing what's wrong with something but to look for the good in something to mm-hmm. say well that sucks but you know what there's some good that came out of that yeah or i'm glad i went through this horrible experience because it's helped me to learn and appreciate this and uh, so we go through a session uh, first of all just recognizing we need to detox from our detox that we need to get over being right all the time um we do what we do we spend some time talking about forgiveness which again as you said it's not about Validating that what these horrible what these what these things that were done to me were somehow. Okay, they're not mm-hmm. okay But I need I need to learn how to become someone who forgives mm-hmm. It's for my own self. I just need to become a forgiving person And how do I do that? And, and until I learn how to be, let go of that and forgive that and become somebody moving forward who is able to forgive quickly that's a, that's a discipline I need to learn how to do, we just that's part of my reconstruction is being a forgiving person. I want to do that. I want to be that. How do I do that? So we work on that. We work on this rewiring our brains, which allows us to shift out of the negative into more of a uh, looking for the the good in things. And there's actually there's some very practical uh, things we can do that we actually go through. That's my favorite week actually. Okay. Is going through the rewiring our brains uh, process. What are
0: what are some uh, examples of that that, that you could kind of give away little keys that people could be? Implementing? Yeah, I'll give you a
1: tease. So one of the things that, and by the way, this is all based on you know psychology, scientific sure. studies that have been done about the brain, the human brain. I actually came across some of these things when I was in the in the corporate world. Um, I came across some studies that were done by different universities, uh, and it was done actually on the corporate level, where large corporations of like multi-billion dollar corporations were incorporating some of these psychological studies and noticing that employees that were always critical were always negative. uh, They had basically, they were looking at everything through that critical negative grid. They, they uh, not only were they not creative and were they not people who collaborated well, they killed collaboration and they killed creativity in the organization, anyone around them. It just created this cloud of, I don't want to work with this person. Uh, why bother? Everything's bad. You know, this place sucks. Right? It's just this negative attitude. So it killed collaboration. It killed cre- creativity. It killed productivity, um, ingenuity. All these things. So these corporations decided, based on these uh, psychological research that had been done on the human brain and how it affects our physiology, how it affects uh, our, even our mental and emotional health. Like when you're when you're thinking that way, when you're behaving that way. You're more at risk for heart disease, for um, having anxiety, mental illnesses. I mean, it's just a bad, bad thing. Mm-hmm. So there's all these, all these good reasons to learn how to shift out of this way of thinking for yourself, as well as just for the company that you're working for. And when these corporations started uh, incorporating these, these, um, these steps, these, these very practical things, uh, a, it shifted those individual employees to becoming more uh, positive for looking for more positive solutions, for naturally collaborating with coworkers and coming up with creative solutions and, and creating productivity and ingenuity and all these things. So the people were happier. The environment was better. The people themselves were healthier and happier and worked better and enjoyed their jobs more and got promoted and all these other things. The company grew and had better solutions and ideas and related to one another within internally as well as externally with customers and everything. Like it was just like this amazing radical shift in Mm. the entire makeup of the company so as i was looking at this from that level it was like well yeah it's the same thing in the church like we we're the same way and so for example one of the very practical things that that they encourage people to do is gratitude Mm. is just learning how to daily practice gratitude Um, and so there's very there's different steps so um and i incorporated some of these into our course so one of the things I ask people to do during, during that particular week that we're studying that or we're going through this rewiring our brain thing is um, like on Monday, I want you to set your alarm and every hour on the hour, I want you to just write down one thing you're grateful for. It can be anything, coffee, wow. cheese, indoor plumbing, uh, the sun, whatever, rain, whatever. Just one thing you're grateful for every hour on the hour. Um, and then the next day, I want you to write a letter. Think of someone in your life who has really made a huge impact on your life—a teacher, a, a family member, a good friend, a mentor, someone that just really made a huge impact in your life. Write them a letter. They could be dead. Maybe. I mean, what they found is, by the way, in this research, one of the psychological studies I was looking at when they when they tested people uh, for how gratitude impacted their brain was was this. They said, sit down and write a letter to someone you're thankful for, and the person experienced. I'm talking like mm. in the in the biochemistry of their brain and their body, they experience the positive energy and shift in their body just by writing the letter, even if they never sent they the letter. Send it. <laughs> now, but but if you do send the letter, there's a there's an additional bump mm. because if the person's alive, they can come back to you and say, Wow, I had no idea. Thank you. Now you get another surge of like yeah. this positive energy. And so anyway, those kinds of, so there's lots of extra, like that week, I think there's like every day of the week, I have you do a different thing related to, uh, rewiring your brain this way. And I'm, and it's, it's the most dynamic part of the week. Cause by the, when we have that call at the end of the week and I ask people, did you people do these bouncing, steps? right? <laughs> oh my gosh. They're just like, Keith, one of the guys, the first week, the very first round when we did this, one of the guys, he goes, Keith, when I was doing the thing every hour on the hour. About halfway through the day, I shifted my alarm to every 30 minutes because I, I was so afraid I wasn't going to get have enough time to be thankful for all the things wow. I wanted to be thankful for. And it, was, it felt so good. It was so great. And so anyway, once people go through that, it literally does shift your brain to be more like, so now you're not trapped in this loop of just always being, this sucks, this is horrible, this is bad. Because people do, they get caught in this yeah. feedback loop. Yeah and they can't break out of it. So this is a very practical way to break us out of this negative loop.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. So looking at this um, from a psychological level, um, what one thing that fascinates me is, is that they when they look at how people develop through the stages of human development, what's fascinating is when people hit about 40 to 45, usually that window is where people stop developing. Um, and actually, on the whole, most people want to hit 40. If, if you're at a certain stage in your psychological development, that's the stage you're going to die at. It just is. <laughs> yes. uh, you maybe will will move on to one more stage, but it's going to be a snail's crawl. Now, what's fascinating about this is if you look at it, uh, you know, culturally, some of these stages took us two, three, five, six, ten thousand years to go through as a yes. as a culture. So we're we're pretty privileged that we get to go through a stage. And you know, you talk about going through this in fifteen years or so. I'm like, that's an achievement, you know, absolutely. Yes. Um, so I think. But what's interesting is I think it talks to blame. For, uh, blame. <laughs> brain plasticity and and the fact that the brain is in a sense a muscle the more that you use it the more it's able to keep its plasticity and the more you can keep rewiring and, and reusing different bits and, and changing the way the neural pathways in your brain work but there is an element of atrophy to the brain that you decide to stick where you are you're going to hit a certain amount of time with just not changing not working it not pushing your brain you're going to get stuck in that rut, and, we, and you yeah. will get stuck. Um, yeah. And I think this is a huge part of when we are, um, we've, we've gone through incredible change when you step out of a very rigid, um, conventional way of thinking, something like Christianity uh, as, a, as a broad model within the West. Um, stepping out of that is a huge step. It's a huge evolution. It's a huge amount of growth required. But we can get stuck there. There's a very big risk that that's where you get stuck, and you end up getting stuck in that place of not moving on. And I think um, models like what you're saying, activities, practical implementations—that's how you make sure you're not going to get stuck, right? Because uh, yes. you know, you talk about it, 15 years. I think that's a very quick window. In my experience of talking with people and engaging with people, that seems pretty positive and 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 big well done you know i genuinely (laughs) mean that um so my my concept is like okay how do we bring 30 years down to 15 years how do we bring 15 years down to 10 years how do we bring 10 years down to five years you know is there things that we can do that help speed up the process for people and so it sounds like an amazing thing what you're doing in that course one of the things i'm really interested in is do you vet people coming in do you just or do you just let anyone that's kind of come across you and go oh i want to do this course because it seems to me you you could potentially just like the home group you could potentially get someone coming in that just is not ready to to right. start rebuilding. Uh, is yep. that something you've come across? I know this is fairly new for you. And uh, you and maybe know, that's something like you can't really share as well. I, I'm not really to well, throw you on the uh, off the deep. End no, that I can the...
1: I mean, um, I I probably don't vet as much as I should. And maybe I've just been lucky to this point. Mm. Um so on one level, uh, I mean, I kind of like to throw it out there. I, I I'm hopefully doing a good job explaining who this course is for. Um and so if somebody listens to that and says, yeah, man, I really need that. I mean, so far it seems like the, the people who have resonated with what I've explained this is and they've watched the little video I have and they've gone to the website. Um, maybe they'll message me and ask me, hey, Keith, this is where I'm at. What do you think? Um, and I'll let them know, yeah, this is, this is something that will help you. Um, um, but I do, I do check in with people like on the very first session because I need to know. Uh, because, like you said, the potential is a very wide range of people, someone who's just maybe just started to deconstruct one or two things.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and I want to know that. Like, so, like, the very first one we do is um, uh, well, I'm sorry, the second, the second week we do uh, the six, I, I identify six pillars of deconstruction. That for me, um, there's like six main pillars that people deconstruct and you don't have to do them in the right order and you don't even have to do all of them but in my experience these are six main pillars that most people eventually if you start with this one you're eventually going to get to this one and then it's going to lead to this other one and uh, i mean again you may go out of order but at some point you're going to eventually work your way through these main six pillars of deconstruction Mm. so i kind of first lay that out and then i ask um how many of these have you deconstructed um and sometimes people are like, "Yeah, I've only gone through this one. I'm I'm kind of just starting the second one, and these other ones. Wow, I hadn't even thought about those yet." And other people are like, "Yeah, I I did those six, and I'm on. I got, I got another six. You didn't even mention. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Right. What What are your need- six? Give them real quick, because I'm really fascinated as to what you you consider the <laughs> kind of the, the kind of the big
1: building yeah. blocks are. Or- I'll see if I can remember them off the top of my head. Now. Oh yeah. Well. <laughs> um, so. The Bible, you know what I mean? The inerrancy of scripture is, is, is there any mistakes in the Bible and how do we sure. even approach the Bible? So the Bible is one of the main ones. Um, uh, suffering, right? Why is there suffering the world of God is good? Uh, the end times, so Jesus is coming back any day now, but it seems like it's been happening for like 2000 years. People have been claiming that and nothing yeah. happens. Um, oh my gosh, if I can remember all of them. Um, uh, let's see um church, right? Okay. Like we said, house yeah. church, right? The whole idea of like well ecclesia, church as I know it is doesn't seem to fit the the what I see in the scriptures, right? The the way we're doing church doesn't fit, doesn't make sense. Uh so I'm deconstructing my mm. my church. Um I got on it my brain now if i remember that there's do you have anything double. on
0: um like the cross or necessarily violence things that yeah there face.
1: you go thank you yeah so like penal substitutionary atonement theory right it, it god is loving why don't he have to kill his son so he could forgive me why can't he just forgive me like i do that i, I forgive people yeah, yeah. without blood or wait you violence. don't
0: kill people to forgive people
1: no I, it's weird i know it's really Dude, weird
0: you need to sort
2: that out.
1: <laughs> right so yeah that kind of a thing you know like people start pulling on that thread about penal sure. substitutionary theory or hell, the doctrine of hell. Mm. Um, like, I don't know if I believe God would send people and torture them forever and ever and ever. Like, is that a loving God? I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, so those are the main sort of um, pillars that people start questioning yeah. this, and then they kind of work their way through. Well, if that well, then now that I've thought about yeah. that, well, what about this? And, so, so you consider groups, you'd look
0: at that and go, ah, you've done like three, four, five, six, you know, you, you've worked through a big bulk of that, you're probably ready to start trying to kind of like move forward. Is that kind of how yeah. you would probably gauge it on a
1: well, no, without so, knowing people
0: so, very well? Or?
1: Yeah, so the what I do, the reason I do that is twofold. One, I lay out what I think are the six big, big pillars first you say they're aware of it. So that's for their benefit. I want them to be aware of, oh, wow, this is other things I haven't even thought about yet. Mm. It's also for me, I want to get a scale for them. Like, okay, this person is, they've done two and the, here's what they are. And this other person, they've done all six or whatever, right? So I want to get a picture of the group that we have and where they're at. So for example, if, if, if almost everybody in the group was only one or two, well then I want to adjust a little bit, like I don't want to blow their minds up front. Like I don't wanna I don't wanna um, push them into these pillars. Yeah, I want absolutely. to meet them where they're at, right? So I don't wanna to be too like again, you are know what I'm saying? Like deconstructing the danger of
0: building when you haven't fully deconstructed yet, right? right, is, right. Is there's a danger of if you haven't actually deconstructed certain foundations that are rotten and you start building a new house, well. You're only going to repeat this process in five years, yes. you know? Yes. And so there's definitely yeah. that dynamic. That's that I guess that's at the very core of my initial question is like, how do you avoid that? Like, because yeah. if you don't know these people and they just go, oh, I'm gonna do that, they might <laughs> not be ready. You know, I think a lot of yeah. people I, I noticed this looking at people on the deconstruction network. We're we're starting a research program. Um, I'm working with a research company in the UK where we're trying to develop a long-term two, three, five, 10-year program of doing research on people going through deconstruction. Right. Um, and so on the network is the option where you can do research uh, pro- surveys and things like that, just five minute surveys on different topics and different things like that. But the initial survey we do is um, it's based on um, there's, a, there's an academic model of, of rating how people have, um, how far they're along on their, their faith development. Um, I actually think you would really benefit potentially to, in a oh. sense, vet people. I'll, I'll send you some data on it. Yeah, thank it's called you. called the, the Religious Faith Development um, Scale. And so it's 16 questions scaled one through four. um, And you ask these 16 questions and you can give someone a score between 16 and 64. And generally speaking, the higher the score is, the more open they are to uh, different beliefs, different concepts, the more they question their faith, the more they um, have processed and changed their faith. Um, And so it measures all sorts of different dynamics. And what's fascinating to me is on the network, I've seen people as low as 26, I think is the lowest score. But most people are up in the fifties plus. Um, yeah. And so generally speaking, what we're working with right now is we're trying to figure out, okay, where's our? how are we going to using this scale go, who is a deconstruction Christian? Now we probably need other factors around that to kind of piece together. Oh, if you're doing this, this, and this, and this, and you've got a score more than 52, then you're deconstructing or whatever it is. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but the amount of people that are still very early stage and go, I'm deconstructing, but they get on there and they start talking to people or they message someone, oh, you're in Houston. And they go, holy crap. You're like a Buddhist, you know, or whatever. Yes. And they still think, you know, you need to go to church every Sunday. That's they just right. start When they say deconstructing, they mean they don't believe in hell anymore. And someone, they read right. a Brad Jerzak book on that or they <laughs> watched Hellbound or something and that's yes. it, you know, they're deconstructing and actually yes. they're very much in the machine. Yes. Um, and yes. so I think it's fascinating that dynamic of like, you could potentially rebuild on, on um, ground that hasn't been uh, Work that started. hasn't hasn't replaced the foundations with something a bit yes. more stable. Yes.
2: Um
0: Yeah. So, so yeah. Keep, keep going. So, Sorry, yes. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just think it's no, no, no. You're no. Yes, this is
1: great. No, this is great. So um, it's it's a little little bit of a dance. Right. It, it like what you're saying. It is a little bit of a balance because I've got I've only got like 12-15 people in this group. I'm trying to get a picture of where they're at in their process. They're all in different spots. and you know, they're not all exactly on the same page. Sure. Um, so it's a little bit of like. Um, I let them know that there are these six major pillars. Maybe they haven't gone through all those yet, but they, okay. Oh, this is deconstruction is a bigger thing than I thought it was mm. most likely. Um, again, some people, like I said, have, well, I've, I've been way, way, way down the road. Okay, fine. Um, but in general though, it's sort of like what I, the expectation I set for people too is that um, regardless of where you are in this scale, how many things you pillars, whatever you've gone through, uh, I I try to set the expectation that deconstruction is probably something it doesn't end mm. like you will always be in the mode of what is that? What about this? I mean, I think you should be, I don't, I think you should always be in a place where the cement is wet where you don't let it become dry because my, my, what I tell people is the minute you, Oh, I deconstructed this and now I believe this. Well, if now if you've hardened that belief, uh, do you remember how painful deconstruction was? Yeah. You get to go through hammering and breaking that thing down five years from now so that you can now rebuild and rethink something else. So don't let that happen to yourself. Hold loosely to these things. Even the new things you're coming up with, hold it loosely. Recognize deconstruction is an ongoing lifelong process of questioning. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, don't be so sure about yourself. Embrace mystery. Admit you don't have it all figured out and that that's not what it's about. It's not about being right. It's not about having certainty because the opposite of faith is not doubt it's certainty. So it's not about certainty, right? Recognize that. Um, And then then it sort of then becomes about halfway through the course, uh, we kind of begin with the deconstruction kind of stuff. We talk about all through that. I get a picture where they're at. I try to walk them through basically some of these deconstruction principles. But then about halfway through, we shift into the reconstruction piece. So it's sort of a both and. You're going to keep on deconstructing. But as even as you're deconstructing, you're also employing these reconstruction processes as well. It's not, I can't begin reconstruction until I've completely finished the deconstruction process. Sure. And if we're done, and yay, we have a wrap party, deconstruction's over, now let's reconstruct. No, you will never end I don't think anyway, fully stop deconstructing your, your beliefs. You should always be yeah. questioning, always thinking, always There's growing. There's no over.
0: depth to us being wrong.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> it, just, it just keeps you going. Always it just... Be, yeah. Always be learning, always be growing. But then that doesn't mean, though, you can't be, begin building some new faith practices, some new, um, new ways of expressing your faith, uh, experiencing God and all these things. Uh, in a way that it's actually a good thing a positive and a healthy thing mm. so it's a little bit of both right yep.
0: yeah no that's really interesting really fascinating so what I'm, I'm intrigued by how you navigate that because um we should probably wind up relatively
2: soon yeah just, <laughs> I'm like
0: uh, okay i can keep going for a couple hours we'll, we'll hang up <laughs> we'll we'll end the call and we'll just chat for another two hours sure. um uh, I, I'm intrigued. So there's an element where when we start holding these things loosely, and we start holding things like, and we go, "Well, look, I I don't have all the answers. I don't I don't have all the things," because to me this uh, this is the number one thing that really bugs the hell out of me when people like start attacking um, people that are deconstructing. And this is one of the reasons we started our research is we feel there's a whole world out there of people that have left church that have put Christianity as it's given to them to the side who are then labeled 110 different things, but none of them particularly accurate. Backslidden, atheist, heretic. N- you know, never really saved, heretic. And actually some of these people are the most spiritually passionate and intentional yes. people I know. Um, and so that's a, a large motivator between me getting this data is I look at people like Barner, Pew Research, people that are doing that. They don't have a category for people that are in this middle ground. You're either no. uh, Unchurched, you know, uh, you're non-Christian, you're atheist, you're agnostic. But who who are the people that are still following the path of Christ? They're still passionate about this. Who are still really open spiritually? So this is our, our kind of heart behind doing the spirituality, uh, this thing. But the problem is, most people get so bugged and so annoyed by this deconstruction so we have to believe something you've got to have your what is your you know you have to there's got to be a purpose when are you going to start reconstructing when are you going to you know you know i deconstructed years ago i reconstructed and that may be true that they change from mid to pre-trib or you know (laughs) because that's it right that is in in your world if that's the biggest thing you've ever challenged that's a big thing it's like the kids when it falls over and hits its head that's the hardest pain it's ever experienced it will cry like it's the hardest pain it's ever experienced yes. because it's all subjective and so but people are constantly going we've got to reconstruct you've got to reconstruct you got. To. and so there's a cry of people wanting to reconstruct who are definitely not people that should be managing reconstruction now no. i'm certainly not saying that you're that at all i think people like yourself i want I hear i'm like oh gosh i want to send people to you you know by the way when's your when's your next course opening up you just started this one, right? So about three months yeah, or so.
1: I don't, I think the next one opens uh Hold on. My calendar here. I think it's in June. Yeah, June 29th, the next one will open up.
0: Okay. And you're still going to only be 12, 15 people or are you going to-
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been what it's how it's worked out. Okay. And then just so you know, there is- well, a, Get, get there ready, is, man.
0: I'm going to send people. I'm, I, uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: there's a, there's a cost involved, but usually, I mean, I don't think anybody in the course has ever paid full price. It's either I always discount it or- don't say that, <laughs> man. No, 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 but I'm just-, I'm just I'm, I know, right. <laughs> I <laughs> no, like I, I gotta be honest like yeah i do i do charge a little bit for it because it's it's a lot it's an investment that's time. a lot it's 90 a, it's a days investment. of my life yeah right uh so it's, it's a weekly sometimes several times a week uh yeah. you know and this commitment. is what you do so yeah right um but i mean i I always have sponsored seats if somebody's like keith yeah. i really want to do this this is exactly what i need right now i can't afford it you know i like yeah. some probably you know several people in the course are it's free, yeah. so yeah. I mean, well, I pe- don't people know. People are
0: coming your way. Is the point I'm making? And yeah. if it sounds like so. People like yourself. I, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with David the uh, Naked Path. Oh yeah, no, obviously. David Havert has it. Yeah, his his stuff uh, with the Last Supper. He's helping yes. people kind of move forwards and and forging paths. So people like him, people like you. You know, I, in talking with you guys, don't know you that well. I'm like, oh gosh, these are very nuanced, um, advanced, uh, enlightened thinkers. In my in my opinion. You're welcome for the couple. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know if it means that much coming from me, but uh, sometimes that might be a, a, a discrediting factor for a lot of people. Oh well, God, Phil thinks they're in line. God, they must be a nightmare. Um, but, um, but, you know, so I look at that and I'm like, okay, yes, you're the sort of person I want to send someone to to start looking at. How can I start reconstructing something of faith, of spirituality? Um, but there is a whole world out there that is pushing for a reconstruction that, has a very different agenda how do you go about holding back your own agenda holding back your or not agenda's wrong word because i don't actually think you'd have a, a an unfair agenda but more um, your own perspectives, your own bias, your own judgment. Because even though right. we're hopefully moving to this non-judgmental stage of you know you know leaving that duality, we still go. Well, no, but this is what's right because that's what I believe. Right. If I didn't think it was right, I would believe something else. You know, like right. the reason I believe it is because I think it's right. And so, on some level, what I'm hoping to reconstruct. Is there an element of me going, oh, they should probably reconstruct
2: over here. Yeah, right. That's,
0: that's the right thing. Uh, h- right. How do you navigate that? Because to me, that, that falls into the trap of the dualism. And that's my concern of the people that are screaming, you yes. have to reconstruct. And by the way, it looks like my church, which is totally different and not like the thing you left, I promise. <laughs> you know? Right, right,
2: right.
1: <laughs> There's now, a exactly, danger so, there, right? Yeah. So, no, you're exactly right. And, and, I, and I'm glad I get a chance to address this because I agree with you. Um. Uh, I, I like I'm very again I just already I've said this many times I'm very anti-programmatic I, I don't mm. want anything to be prepackaged and like I'm not shrink wrapping something and handing it to you so reconstruction um, certainly I've had my own reconstruction I'm going through my own reconstruction right now my goal though is not make you Mold to my reconstruction experience like my I believe everybody has a different reconstruction experience Or we all start at different points. We're all going through our different stages of it So I don't tell people how to reconstruct I don't tell them your reconstruction should look like this and include these things. That's not what I do What I really do is um, I in general I'm laying out for you many 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 options Mm. These are several things you, and it's up to you, you could decide, for example, um, developing new faith practices, right? Um, Here are many, many different things on several different categories. I'm going to ask you to try at least one from each of these categories, but you get to pick which ones and and you get to decide, oh, I tried this and I hated it. Okay, fine. Then don't do that. That's fine. Good. Try something else. Find what works for you, Mm. for where you are. And then you get to decide how you are going to move forward in this reconstruction mm-hmm. process. And, I, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm not going to tell you how. I'm going to give you some tools, some resources, some, uh, some, some ideas, some like hopefully a catalyst that inspires you moving forward to empower you to figure yeah. out, okay, for me right now, reconstruction, I really need this. I really need to develop that. I need to learn this or grow in this area or whatever. Good. Now, I want to be able to help you and resource you to do that, but on your time and in your speed and in whatever direction you want to go, you decide what that looks like.
2: Yeah,
0: that's, so that's what I'm trying to do. It's, So it's much more built around um, giving people tools than actually teaching. Uh, you know, oh, you've got this pillar of hell. Let me tell you the, you know, whatever. It's it's right. much more. Here, here's tools. Here's, you know, you need to rebuild new practices of spirituality of engaging with with what you consider is definitely beyond. You can deconstruct God and Jesus and everything, but you still go with a something else more, right. mood, whatever. Right. So here's why don't you try contemplation? Why don't you try meditation? Why don't you yes. try, you know, yes. breathing exercises? Why don't you try some yoga? You <laughs> know, like here, here's yes. different things you can try. And if you want to go back and try seeing kumbaya to Jesus, that's all. Also, option, you know. Here's, yes. here's a whole host of a smorgasbord of things to experience. Um, yeah. That's a very different model to the uh, many people that are crying out for reconstruction. And what they mean is, oh, I've got the answers to your question on hell, the end times, the cross, the. Because you know, that, generally speaking, is what a lot of people, and even people that are deconstructing. are are very um, quick to offer their conclusions that they've come to. This is a very, if you're looking at Spiral Dynamics, this is very orange, right? I mean, it's, it's very modern thinking. It's I've, I've deconstructed this, this, Stupid superstitious belief because the Bible said, or because the Pope or the pastor said. And I've looked at it and I've studied the answers and I've looked at it all logically. And I can tell you it's not penal substitution, it's Christus Victor. Oh, that's not the Christus Victor, it's sacrificial, you know, mimetic theory. Or the reason you know, theory. Exactly, it's <laughs> ransom, it's moral, you know. But there's but, and the danger is that that is, and that will feed a lot of people in that. The, the, the danger is that a lot of people are deconstructing are still looking for a bit of certainty, they're still looking for someone with the best argument to convince them. Um, so it is, it, again, it's, 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 it requires quite a bit of development for you to go, oh, you're just giving me tools. I have to go figure this out. And yep. actually you're telling me there probably isn't even a black and white end goal. Oh, that's yep. really disappointing. Yeah, do, do you find that <laughs> with people that they're a little disappointed that you're not like reconstruction doesn't mean here's, I'm going to give you a package and you'll be done. Um, cause I feel like it, for me in some senses, like I said, I love this. I get excited. I've been doing this from the get go. I was raised, my mom was like, don't believe anything I say, don't believe anything your father says, don't believe anything the church tells you. I was a pastor's kid. So it's a double down on my dad. Um, but you know, it's just like, don't believe things because people will tell you, especially if they're in authority, think about it, yep. question it, you know? Yeah. So I loved that growing up. Um, and I'm really thankful for that legacy and that, that element. It's also been very problematic for me. Um, but generally speaking people are exhausted people are tired of deconstructing people just want to rest they want it they want an end to it in a sense Mm -hmm. Um, and and what i'm hearing from you is you're not offering an end to it you're offering tools to be able to manage it and navigate it in a more healthy way would that be a would that be a fair summary of what the course would be and it's not an end to deconstruction but it's actually how do i now step into a place where deconstruction is a a normal everyday experience but actually I'm I'm navigating it in a more healthy way that allows me to build and develop and grow um, and feel like I'm moving forward rather than just spiraling downwards. Right.
1: Yeah. It's- well, yeah, that's what I tell people when we're, you know, on the very last week of the course, I say, you know, um, there's a reason why this course is called Square One. Mm. When you finish the course, uh, it's not finish line. Yeah. It's, Okay, good. Now, square one, take, the, take your first step into this reconstruction thing. So that's what I'm doing is trying to help prepare people for this process. I'm going to give you some tools. We're going to talk about it. We're going to work through it. We're going to, you know, all these things. But when, when you finish the course and you finish, it's not like, oh, Keith, thank you, Ding, You fixed me. <laughs> I have reconstructed. It's all done. Thank you so much. No, no. Yeah. You are now just beginning this now this process of learning how to manage your own deconstruction and reconstruction process yeah Uh, i'm here to help you i want to you know sure if you need help advice or blah 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 but it's yours you get to decide what that looks like and you know like if you after you've gone through the course like i said i've got this private facebook group and i encourage people to still continue to help each Mm -hmm. other through this you know and resource each other through these things and uh, encourage each other through these things but the the goal of it is not to finish the process. The goal of it is to really give people all the tools they need to begin this process, um, and hopefully do so in a way that they have a really good chance of navigating it in a very healthy way. So that's what yeah. that's my goal.
0: That's awesome, Keith. Man, I love your heart. I love your your desire to help people to to help people navigate this. It's obvious that you've gone through this you've, you've you've you know you've learned it the hard way maybe yeah um, and the great way is it's, it's the best way um, is you know it's in suffering that it's all forged into something beautiful generally speaking um, but I, I really love it. I think it's one of the most important things that is, is deeply lacking. You know, I would say you go 10, 15 years ago, there was there was very few people helping people on the process of deconstruction. I think there's many people stepping into that world now. And there's a lot of people helping pastor people in that process. There's, there's, But right now, there's a very few people still going, like you said, right in the beginning, you know, like there's very few people who are offering, hey, I've got, I've got some tools for you to kind of like start feeling like you're not at the end, but actually transitioning into this being healthy and and, and, a, and a positive experience for you rather than like this terrifying. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's definitely, it's not negative because it is positive as well, but it's definitely a bit of a mix. You know, when you're yes. losing your friends, you're using your community, you're losing your family. Sometimes I mean, it's yeah. marriages are falling apart. I mean, it can be really, really challenging for a lot of people. So yeah. I really appreciate you, uh, putting stuff to that. Yeah. And like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to, you need to let remind me when, when you, when you launch and I'm, I'm, I'll post about it and I'll push people your way. So, yeah. um, you're, you're going to have to bet if you're only going to take 12, 15 people, you're going to have to bet with uh, <laughs> okay, the people good. I'm sending. So, um, right. but I'd love that. I, I'd really love to, to push that. And, and, why don't you, um, let people know if they want to, um, follow you, if they want to engage with you, if they want to hear more from you, what are some great ways you've got the um, heretic Happy Hour is a great place. They're going to hear from you. And uh, we have Matt Stefano, And who else is on that? Is it
1: Jamal? Jamal Jivangi.
0: Yeah. So you guys are on that. Is, is that a great place to hear more from you? Or do you have you have people on, right?
1: Yeah, we have guests. We we call them the heretic of the week. We have different okay. interviews. Um, yeah, so that's one place. You can go to heretichappyhour.com. There's a website, and you can listen to the shows. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Right. Um, also, I have a blog. So it's just my name, keithgiles.com. Uh, it's a Pathios blog. It's on Path uh, Pathios Progressive yeah. channel. I blog. I usually at least two, twice a week, maybe three times a week. I'll post a new blog post there. Uh, and then I'm, I'm on Twitter and Facebook as well. I'm pretty accessible um, on both of those platforms.
0: Okay, cool. You don't do Instagram.
1: I I have an account. You, you
0: got a shift, man.
1: I know. I'm an old man. I got to. You got to do gotta, it.
0: You got to do I it. You're, gotta, you're gonna lose your your audience is gonna
1: die off. I know, man. <laughs> I
0: um, <laughs> awesome so what's your your on twitter and facebook they just uh, search keith giles are going to find you quite easily or? yeah i
1: think twitter is just at keith giles okay. facebook is keith a giles okay. but you know you'll see my picture if you search keith giles you'll see me on there
0: awesome um, cool I'll, I'll i'll make sure um some links are in the show notes so people will find you
1: thank um, you yeah thanks i yeah. so well. appreciate it. this has been fun i i, I had a good yeah, time. i
0: really enjoyed it i think we could have another great discussion so we'll definitely do this again uh, let's do sure.
1: it again sometime sure
0: Sounds good. All right, awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for giving me so much of your time as well, man. Two and a half hours. So, <laughs> if, if people are still listening, hats off to you. You know, <laughs> yes. yes, of course. <laughs> awesome, wonderful, man. Well, have a good day. Enjoy the rest of your day. Are you, how are, how's the pandemic going for you? Are you are you guys doing okay in Texas?
1: Yeah, we're doing good. Um, I mean, for my my wife and I personally, I mean, I've been for over a year now. I've been working, you know, doing this full time author thing. So I work from home all the time anyway. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been self. But social distancing, whatever, already been, for a morning. You've been living like, your
0: best pandemic self. Yeah. for a while.
1: <laughs> I never put on pants. You know what I mean? It's like, um, uh, unless like you know, yeah. I almost never leave the house. So we're we're doing good. My mom and okay. dad are they here in El Paso. So they're they're staying healthy. My boys are back in college in California. Um, <laughs> you know, they're they're doing fine. Uh, I think we're all feeling the pain of it, but um, and otherwise we're yeah. doing good. How are you yeah. guys doing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, well, I'm like you, you know, I I work from home. Like uh, it's kind of surreal in a sense that I can almost go a few hours in a day and I'd be doing my thing. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, the whole world stopped. I haven't, but like, wow, the whole world is like kind of crawling to a halt. Um, It's kind of a surreal thing, isn't it? When, when you, when that's, I think for people that were going to work every day and now are working from home or, you know, or can't work at all or, you know, whatever it might be. It's quite a a severe shock. But for me, I'd stay at home, I'd write, I'd do some research, I'd study, I'd Skype people, you know, record some podcasts. It's all very similar. Um, And so uh, I'm incredibly privileged, to be honest with you. It might might affect things like finances and stuff, knock-on effect, but right now we're doing okay. My wife's a tutor, so she can do a lot of that online. Um, In fact, she probably has more opportunity to do that now because so many people aren't going to school. She does like young elementary age. um, So they're not going to school. So suddenly parents are going, oh, gosh, how do we
1: get busy and
2: give them some (laughs) education?
0: They've gone from 30 hours of education to none. You know, it's like um, so if she wanted to, which she definitely doesn't. She's over. She's just overhead anyway with all this. So we're very, very lucky, uh, very privileged, very aware of that. So uh, I, I had it though. I, so I, that's the thing. I, I, I kind of got whacked with it, and I was like, I was in hospital, like ambulance oh hospital, like, whole thing. Like um, that was wow. a while back now, about a month in this month or so, and really like was rough. Breathing, kind of like really struggling to breathe, oh it was really God. full on. Um, and so that's a whole nother element as well. Where I, I know there's a lot of reports that there isn't um, necessarily yeah. immunity to it, if you've had it before, you can potentially get it again. But there's a whole another element to some degree where I'm like, I'm probably got a heightened immunity to some degree. So I, I think as well, it's, I think a lot of people going out have this undercurrent of fear of, of we naturally almost start distrusting the person in the queue, you know, at the supermarket and right. we're not as friendly because it's like, well, you might actually kill me and my grandmother or, you know, like, <laughs> right. um, and I feel like I, I don't have as much of that as, as I think I probably would if I was if I'm honest, I think I would have had a bit more underlying fear or anxiety. I'm not, I can be very fearful and anxiety driven in certain areas, but generally not with something like this. Big things don't worry me. I get really anxious and fearful over the really stupid, small things. Yeah, you know? Like they met. I think emotionally I've done really well. And like, you know, you look at, uh, you know, the, I don't know, the stock market's crashing and it's lost 30% of it. I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, or like, yeah. Oh my gosh, you know, like people are dying and I'm like, ah, that's terrible. It's really awful, but I'm not getting into my shock mode or whatever. And then it's like, oh no, the bin guy didn't pick up your bin this week and now you've got to go two weeks and it's already full. Right Now I have a meltdown. And I'm like, what? Or like I go shopping once every 10 days and I forgot one ingredient and I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm just, my whole body's just shutting down now It's just overwhelmed. <laughs> like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. So I, I'm a weird, I'm a weird builder. I don't know what it is. Maybe I, maybe I just don't notice the big stuff and then the little things push me over, but maybe um, yeah. I've definitely had a few days. It feels like that malaise, you know, you just feel like you're wading through treacle, which because, you know, people like myself and you, we're, our day-to-day h- hasn't changed that much. It feels, it feels almost self-indulgent. I feel a little guilty for feeling um, low or down or whatever, because I'm like, Phil, come on. Like, there's people that have no job. They don't know how they're going to feed their family. There's, especially in certain countries where healthcare isn't free or, you know, where the government isn't taking care of people and things. I'm like, God, like that person should be like feeling low or freaking out. Me? Yeah. I mean, not much has changed. Um, and I, that's just, I need to have more grace for myself. That's not how mental health works, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I definitely have noticed that as well. So yeah, it's, it's a
1: weird time, man. Really weird. It is. So once, it is a, a
0: good- once in a lifetime thing, literally, you know, very few yeah. people will ever experience something like this.
1: Yeah, 2020, man, what a horrible year. We're going to look back on that and just be like, ah, oh, that was the worst. Dude, seriously. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm like you, like <laughs> I'm not experiencing the pain of it the way everybody else is, but I am definitely aware of it, that people are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been trying to do things more intentionally, um, like on social media and stuff, just to encourage people. Like, you know, like, yeah. like I'm, I do those little second cup videos. A lot of times it's just to remind people like, hey, it's going to be okay. And we're going to get through this together mm. and here are some things we can do to kind of like um, refocus our mind on, on not on, on the death and destruction the world's going to end and, and all yeah. that and so you know I, I, some of the things i've seen kind of silly like but i mean I, i'm doing it literally because of this reason like I, i've been doing these um lyrics jams with some friends of mine that are musicians and, and songwriters okay. and get together on wednesday nights and just read lyrics, song lyrics and talk about music and art and all this stuff and like that's one of the things i've been doing because it's like it just, That's awesome. it's just it's hopefully it's an encouraging thing it's fun it's it's entertaining it's it feeds your soul and um and it distracts us hopefully from all the horrible things happening in the world yeah. like i'm just trying to do what i can if i can lift people out of some of the junk because like you said you and i aren't feeling it so much but other people really are
0: yeah yeah oh i i can't imagine um yeah i've got friends that are like really in the thick of it and I'm, and we're very lucky in the uk we've been I mean, the way we've handled things hasn't been the best, but we're at least lucky in the sense that our, our infrastructure is there for us in a way that right. a lot of parts of the world just don't have the, the fallback that we do. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a weird time. Yeah, I saw a, I saw a thing the other day, it's a news piece, and it was like um, uh, 20 sarcophagus uh, uncovered in Egypt recently, just like last week or something. And like the, the top comment on it was like, dude, Get those back in the ground. This is not the year to screw around. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, do not the- open those, dude. Have you seen <laughs> the mummy? Because if that's ever gonna happen, it's this year, right? We're yeah. not, not, no. We're coming up from May. We're about to hit the next terrible news. I do not want it to be twenty mummies from the earth. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, then I mean, like I saw yesterday too. Like, yeah, this week, you know, they, they they released those. The U.S. Navy really Pentagon released three videos of these UFOs that they attract. It was like officially right, from yeah. the Pentagon admitting here's actual footage and we're <laughs> going to call it. These are UFOs. And again, people are freaking out like, oh crap. Now aliens are going to like, yeah. the planet. like <laughs> what next?
0: Dude, you know, that's got to be Trump sitting going, God, man, I have made some terrible statements recently that are really coming down hard. Right, guys what's the most controversial thing you got you do we have any alien stuff what's the area 51 situation no okay you seen any ufos maybe okay let's get that out to the public no one's gonna be talking about bleach or anything else now that's right
1: ufos oh my gosh yeah
0: that's fascinating uh i love it dude thanks so much for coming on i really enjoyed it we should uh we should definitely stay in touch Uh,
1: yeah absolutely man thanks so much
0: i'll catch you later yeah all the best all right take care all right much love all right, that was Keith Giles. What a legend. If you want to connect with Keith, you can find him over on Twitter. Uh, it's just Keith Giles on Facebook. It's Keith Giles one um, I'll put the links in the show note, obviously. Um, he's over at KeithGiles.com. Um, and so I'm sure he would love to hear from you if, if you enjoyed this podcast. He's putting out some great content. Of course, when he uh, launches his podcast, um, his, uh, course uh, uh, square one um i encourage you to check that out as well uh, i don't remember what date he said <laughs> No, that no, it's off the top of my head but um keep an eye out for that because spaces will be limited as as he said and and it sounds absolutely fantastic um and so yeah do keep an eye out for that if you are hungry for more content as well there is always the gracecourse.com Um, there's hundreds of uh, different teachings and videos and all sorts of stuff on there for free Um, and you can also support what um, I'm doing by creating free resources for everyone Um, it does it takes full time I spend 50 60 70 hours a week sometimes um, pastoring people helping people in their process of deconstruction putting out resources creating these podcasts um, and all the study that goes into that as well um, and so if you would love to help support me, it would be a great blessing. You can do that through thegracecourse.com. Um, anything is, is, uh, is hugely helpful. Just a little gift of $5 a month. Um, it, it really adds up to make a big difference for uh, me and my wife. And so that would be amazing. But again, never any pressure in that, never any requirement. Um, I am here for any of you just as much, whether you give or don't. Um, you can always find me in my uh, Instagram is the best place to find me if you wanna talk. Just Phil Drysdale um, over on uh, Instagram. And uh, finally, as always, check out the Deconstruction Network if you're not on there. Um, We're doing some fascinating research into who Deconstruction Christians are and trying to change the narrative of that. And it's also a place where you can connect with other people, hopefully in your area, finding people that are closer to home that are going through a similar process of deconstructing their faith. Um, I would encourage you, if you're feeling lonely in that process, check out thedeconstructionnetwork.com. Um, and maybe see if you can find some
2: people in your area. All right, well, I'll see you for the next podcast in a few days. Cheers.